0: Welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, and skeptic. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This isn't your grandma's Ria. No sales from the front ever and no smell of stale coffee, gay, and or disappointment. You know what I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done, and I pick their brain for your amusement and hopefully education. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a like and share it across the internet. It really helps. If you have any questions or suggestions, or maybe there's questions I'm not asking Or maybe you have uh, an idea for who should be a guest on this podcast, and you're not a total loser or ass clown. Reach out. Go to renegadeDetroit.com. Yes, I realize it is not updated. I'm working on it. It's on a shoestring budget, folks. RenegadeDetroit.com. If you're interested in attending the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash Renegade Detroit Investors, or go to Facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. If you're interested in following me, hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess and if you prefer say hi to YouTube everybody if you prefer you can watch us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers legal disclaimer time because this is the world we live in folks in no way shape or form should anything that I or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice we highly recommend that before you make any investment and or investment decision do you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals being an adult? Don't fucking sue me <laughs> show quote time for the renegade Detroit investors show quote. I try and pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully you're weak. I think you might recognize today's quote because I stole it from you. Well, actually I stole it from somebody else, but if you don't know where you are going, any road will get you there by Lewis Carroll. If you don't know where you are going any road will get you there, and I shamelessly stole that from a blog post you made on Bigger Pockets when I was investigating you. <laughs> I was like, "That's a great show quote, especially for this." We should talk about it. And without further ado, if you wonder who I'm chatting with, let me introduce you to my guest, Mr. Mike Calper. Mike is originally from the great state of Alaska, but moved to Michigan during his high school years and never left. He's a husband of five years now, and a new father. Congratulations, twelve-week-old boy, cute as hell. Before real estate, Mike was an award-winning salesman for nine years with the likes of Sharp and Allergen. 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 Let me make sure I say it right. And that's a huge pharmaceutical.
1: Yeah. There's been, since I started, it was formerly Forest. Then it got bought by activists. And then we bought, or they, because I'm no longer with them, bought Allergen. And Allergen is the more recognized brand out of all of them. So they went with Allergen. Yes.
0: And in the last year. He has turned his talents and energy towards real estate investing and has bought three rentals and a condo sold on land contract. Mike is also a partner. I call him Mike squared on return on investments, LLC with our friend, Mike Simmons, and is currently averaging four to six wholesale deals a month. You should follow him. Folks go to the buy site. If you're interested in getting rid of a house fast for all cash, right? How fast in all
1: cash. Fast you need it. There you go. <laughs> Mike
0: will take care of you. Go to Mike Buys cash.com. Mike cash.com. If you want to end up on his list, which you should, go to we buy ROI.com. We buy ROI.com and go to bigger pockets. Look him up. Mike Calper, C-O-W-P-E-R. You can also hit him up on his office phone at 248-871-7450. And Go to his LinkedIn profile too. That's Michael Calper. And this will all be in the show notes, folks. So you won't have to remember. And I think I should give a shout out too, because Mike Squared, there's one Mike, Mike Calper, and then there's Mike Simmons. Mm-hmm. Mike Simmons also has a podcast, and I think it might be the longest running Detroit podcast anyway. He's the first, one of the first.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. He's got over 300 episodes. He's now. got a shit ton of episodes.
0: <laughs> anyway, it's juststartrealestate.com. So go to juststartrealestate.com. Make sure you say, hey, Jeremy and Mike sent me, you should definitely check them out. Thanks for coming out, Mike. Appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I know. It was a little bit of a rigmarole here. We are Steve-less today, folks. So hopefully I am doing everything correctly with the panel thingy and the mic thingy.
1: For all I know, we could just be talking to thin air and just have we a We might very well be. This
0: could be the <laughs> longest pointless, uh, well, I don't know about pointless. We'll have a good time on it. But um, yeah, this will be interesting. I'm watching a lot of things. So hopefully I don't seem too distracted. It looks like everything's good. I did a test before we're going, so I think I think we're good to go. So let's go back to the beginning. All right. How do you leave a state like Alaska?
1: Well, the reason we went there, my dad was actually working on the pipeline up there in Prudhoe Bay. So that is how I ended up being born there. I was actually only there till I was about five or six. Uh, so I was pretty young. I do remember seeing a big-ass moose, which is like the size of this room. Yes. <laughs> um, but I don't have a whole lot of memories from it. You know, I do remember going whitewater rafting down, uh, I forgot what the Kima, no, I forgot what it exactly called, but with my dad and, you know, doing a lot of the outdoor stuff. But being pretty young, we actually ended up moving down to Florida when I was right around kindergarten. And uh, from there, just kind of stayed in Florida till about seventh grade. No real major stories there other than my dad actively worked in real estate while down there. He did a lot of, buy, fix, flips, things like ah, that. Okay. Although not at the, I think, professional or as systematized level as a lot of people are now.
0: How do you think you get there though?
1: That's exactly right. You yeah, know, and
0: Mess up a lot of shit. Exactly. And it out.
1: You know, he was able to provide for our family the entire time we were down there. Uh, ended up coming back here to Michigan to work with my uncle and start a landscaping company, which was actually pretty successful until the downturn. And ah. Kind of with a lot of businesses, he ended up getting lost in that. He moved out to North Dakota to work on oil again. And uh, I've just been here ever since. So about eighth grade on.
0: Okay. So Alaska to build the oil pipeline. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So is he, was he a pipe fitter or what? Did He's he actually do? a welder. He's a welder. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So he, he puts all the fittings together and actually never been on a, a site with him, but it sounds like it's crazy and dangerous, but it's something is. that he thrives on and really is good at and enjoys. Is he a big dude? No, not really. He's wow. shorter than I am. A little bit stockier though. A little bit stockier. Probably mm-hmm. tough as nails though, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Anybody can do that kind of work is tough as nails. So how many years of, of real estate did, did, I mean, did your father spend down in Florida? Did you help him out too? Were you part of it or?
1: Well, I was pretty young then. So I mean, I helped with like the painting, you know, the whole child labor thing, you know, get five bucks an hour, which was awesome then. <laughs> I love child
0: labor. I'm <laughs> yeah, a fan I mean, it of was child fun, labor. <laughs>
1: But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I did help him out. He did it, I think for what five or six years. So, you know, it was rather successful with it and talking with him about it. Now, you know, he was into the wholesale and he kind of did a jack of all thing. I don't know if he ever actually mastered anything. He never was able to get to the point where he acquired rentals. I don't know if he saw the value in it the same way I do. He was looking more to kind of turn everything and keep providing for the family. I think more than think on a long term scale. So, you know, he was successful as far as, you know, keeping us happy. You know, we were in a nicer home and, you know, we didn't have any worry about food or anything like that. So by all means, he was successful enough.
0: So you did help him out though. He had you in there painting, scraping, that kind of thing, a family endeavor.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's weird. I didn't think about it much because I kind of started doing school, got a professional career, and then I don't know what it was. I kind of started getting the bug for real estate and just started learning, learning, learning. I think it was just something that was always planted there, you know, seeing what could be done and Eventually, something I am doing now full time.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So, you watched your father fix and flip a bunch of houses in Florida, then you guys came up to Michigan. You finished school. Do you go to college or?
1: Yeah, I spent a year at a school in Indiana. It was tri-state. It's now Trine, I believe I played basketball there. And then I transferred to Central Michigan which is where I met my current wife. Actually, my only wife that I'll ever have. How, how many <laughs> wives do you have again? Mike? Yeah, exactly. After I said, like, oops.
0: <laughs> oops. I won't, I won't use that word again that way. No, so. no. Steph, I'm sorry. Yeah. He didn't mean it. He's got eyes for you only, baby.
1: Yeah, so I I spent a year at uh, Tri-State University where I played basketball and I was studying to be an engineer. I hated physics and calculus and I just transferred over to Central to get a general business degree. Uh, you know, After spending three and a half years there because some of my credits didn't transfer over, it just didn't match up, uh, I went into sales. And because apparently general business, you don't just start off as a manager like you think when you're in college. They don't do a great job of really at least... Maybe I didn't follow it properly, but they don't really give you a good idea of a career path, which is probably a good thing because it landed me really in something that I've been able to thrive in. And I think every business needs, I mean, you always are selling or marketing something.
0: I love sales and I love salespeople. I don't think that will ever change. I've always liked selling and I've always liked being sold. And I don't want like some cheap hacky pitch or anything like that, but you know, really selling and really being sold. Exactly. I've always loved it. So you kind of fell into that on accident and found out you loved it.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that triggered it, it was weird. It was in a speech class in college, my senior year, I was, had to do a presentation about something. And I chose the student activity center, which is called the SAC, which is kind of funny. (laughs) I could,
0: I could make some jokes out of that. (laughs)
1: Exactly. So, uh, but I was just kind of talking about it and I spent a ton of time there playing basketball and, you know, pool and things like that. There's a swim pool, just a ton of fun things to do that I think was underutilized, but I was talking about it. And at the end of that presentation, a few people told me that I should go into sales, that it was really good. I didn't even think about it. I was just talking about something I enjoyed doing. And I thought other people could have a benefit from and I think that's kind of basically where my, my sales career was born.
0: <laughs> a salesman was born right then and there.
1: So who's the first company you
0: worked for as a salesman?
1: So the the place was called Metro Imaging. It was a distributor for Sharp copy machines. If you want to learn sales 101 and how to hear no more times than anything else, I would highly recommend getting into some sort of computer hardware copy machine sales because Essentially what I did for the first year and a half of my career is literally go into every single office building, go to every single door in there and introduce myself and ask them if I could talk about their copiers and if they needed something new and just trying to get it, gather general info. So after, you know, hearing no about 50 to hundred times every single day, you start to generate a little bit of a thick skin. You're not afraid to get on the phone because I think what most people are scared of the most is the no. Yes. And you know, once you hear it, I don't even know how many times now, so you know, many times it's every no is a step closer to a, to a yes. And, you know, that's kind of the way you got to think about it. I know a lot of people track, you know, metrics and, and we do to a degree. I've always kind of been more of just keep doing it thing though. So I don't, I've always been very, like I said, go getter and I go to do what I need to do, but I don't actually sit there and tally every single call I make and how many nos I get to how many yeses I know what I want to get to in terms of how many sales I want to have or things. And I just keep going until I get that next step. So that's what I track more of is how many appointments do I get? How many contracts do I get? How many sales come from those contracts? I know counting calls can make an impact and probably does help people, but I just know with how much work I've done in the past that I'm going to keep calling until I get to those steps that are, I think, more trackable, at least with how many calls I make daily anyway.
0: (laughs) Okay. So how did, um, So Canon probably had some sort of training program, too, for like, okay here's how you do it. You go
1: out. What did that look like? You know, to be honest, this was more of a mom and pop shop. So they didn't have that great of a training program, but I had a really good sales manager. So, he sat down and kind of from the very beginning, his approach was always solution based selling. And and you can kind of find that different companies and different sales tactics, you know, breach different things. And a lot of people see, you know, car dealerships not often are always saying, Hey, here's why you need our car, but Hey, our best price is this. We're cheaper than this guy. Let's not really differentiate yourself other than price. What I think the most valuable thing when you're doing sales is finding one, what are they ultimately looking for? And if you're only selling on price, you're not really adding value. And that's where, I mean, any business should be looking to do is add value to the end buyer. So by finding out what it is specifically that they want, I think you're able to provide a better solution for them in terms of a sale.
0: And if the solution works, the price doesn't matter as much.
1: Exactly. And I've heard, I think, Grant Cardone say, you know, oh, you, don't, yeah. you don't have a price issue. You have a value issue when it comes to
0: Always, <laughs> right?
1: You know, so, I mean, you're right. If, if you have a price objection, you haven't built enough value into your service yet. And it's kind of a nice thing to think of. You know, it hurts your ego big time if you're not thinking about it that way. But ultimately, if they're not signing on a dotted line because of something that you're providing. I mean, price definitely can become part of the equation, but it's not it shouldn't be the only part. <laughs>
0: So you went around literally door knocking on thousands of doors across Metro Detroit, hawking Canon, Xerox machines, right? Basically, was there a whole lineup, or was it pretty much just Xerox machine? Uh, ours actually. Was I shouldn't sharp. say Canon or Sharp. Sharp, sorry. Yeah. Sharp. So
1: Xerox was the they Xerox copy was, yes copy machines. Well, the sorry, thing folks. is, Xerox the way they actually took over the market is they. F- Sold a full office solution rather than just the machine. So they basically what took off for them is they would sell you on a document management system, and their machines were just the entry point to get that document into their database, where that whole becomes integral. And they have that whole office solution, and that's why they have such a stranglehold on the market. They they thought Sneaky. more than just the hardware itself. They were thinking big, exactly. And, and you know they had the the long term tenure to do it, and they they thought long term rather than I think. Partially where I was, I was right out of college and I wasn't really good at building those long-term relationships. I was thinking of how much can I sell yeah. it for right now? How much can I get out of this one sale where it's evolved over time where, you know, maybe I can discount it a little bit to get more business and, you know, ultimately volume makes it more than just one big hit on margin.
0: Yeah. I I actually can remember my early twenties, at least when I quit partying anyway, <laughs> I remember it pretty well. And um, yeah, I was a dumbass. I was a dumbass. I was literally stupid. I had all the worst ideas. I had all the worst approaches to fast cash, all that stuff. Something about, I mean, I finally read some articles about how our brain finishes developing, especially if you're a male, somewhere in mid to late 20s. Yeah, like 25 is the number. I yeah, yeah. So and it's later for me. It's about 25 for women and 27, 28 for men. And I'm going with that explanation for how stupid I was <laughs> and how I approached everything back asswards. I actually probably could have really benefited from doing something like you did. Where I had a sales manager or somebody be like, look, son, that's a dumbass way to do it. <laughs> you need a better, smarter way to do this. So.
1: Well, you're right. And, and I think sometimes people try to shortcut it. You know, there's tons of different ways to get mentors and, and you know, some sort of sort of guidance. And it could be as simple as like, you know, the way Mike and I became partners, I reached out to him on Pockets, asking him how he did marketing because I was trying to find more deals for myself. And it just kind of blossomed into more of a business partnership. Who
0: know? sold who? That's yeah. a good question. Who sold who? For the record, here we are. We're recording. We're live. Who sold who? Uh, you know...
1: I think it was just one of those things where it really truly was a mutual beneficial. Like I sold myself on how much I could get done for him. And I started off working for Mike and we just recently became official 50, 50 partners. So I started off just being the acquisition manager, but as a part of that, I started selling it to people. I started bringing new people into our network because I am very, I try to at least be very people friendly and your network is worth your net worth or something along those lines. Be as valuable as you can. Exactly. So I've always had the motto of trying to add value wherever I can to other people. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes selfishness does get in the way on accident. It's not intentional at times. Sometimes you don't even think about it that way, but you know, I, I think I'd learned somewhere along the way, and I know Josh Sterling, you know, we're actually in his office right now, but he always had said he tries to get two people, new people, every network event. And he goes to, I I just started, I didn't know anybody. So everyone was new at that point in time. But now that I've made the rounds quite a few times and met most of the people, I still try to do what he had kind of told me is meet new people every single time you go to one of these things. And I think that's really valuable because you never know who's going to be able to help you out when. You know, you never know who's going to be that next big thing or
0: who. You make a good first impression too, I'll say. I would say you do because you made an impression on me, and that's not, uh, I see a bunch of dumbasses every time <laughs> we have a Renegade Detroit investor meeting. And don't take this the wrong way, folks. I was a dumbass too. You've heard me say it. We all start somewhere. We're not all starting at the same point, though. Someone like Josh Sterling, which I should give a shout out to epicpropertymanagement.com, who very kindly allowed us to use their space today for this podcast
1: too. And he manages two of my rentals.
0: And he's amazing. He's got like a private plane and a bunch of units and an apartment complex. And how old is he? 30 something. My God, it's disgusting. Good for you, Josh. Good for you. (laughs) We all want to be you. And thank you for letting us use your space. We greatly appreciate it. So you're working for, wait, sharp.
1: Yes. Sorry. I keep going off on tangents. I do. that. No, no, that's fine. I love these. I
0: love, this is why I love about this kind of Joe Rogan ish style podcast, which I'm just shamelessly copying for business and real estate.
1: It's a great model. I like it too. So we
0: could talk about all these things that, that makes these stories interesting. So, um, so you did have a sales manager. What did your, how did your sales manager help you throughout your early career and learning how to sail and door knock and overcoming objections? And do you find that any of that still helps you today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the big part was structure. That's, that's something I truly really try to follow. He always wanted to have, this is what you're going to do. He said, don't be a star rep. And he had a map out there. And he just drew a star of all these different places that you could go visit. He said, make sure you're focusing your time so you do all your visits in one place the first time you go there. That way, you're not inefficiently using your drive time. I mean, you know, driving to and from places can eat up half a day if you're not smart about it. You know, not always, it's not always optimal able to do that. But if you can, try and schedule things and coordinate the most efficient way possible you know i'd have the come in the morning i'd make all my phone calls before you know 10 o'clock then i'd go out and I make all my cold calls to the place i haven't been to yet and then i try to do all my appointments you know that were direct you know around those times so if i was going to troy in a certain area i'd go to that appointment and then i'd go knock on all the doors around it you know, so I tried to do that. I had a little map with me, you know, back when <laughs> maps were popular, and I had a highlighter, and I would literally highlight every street on all the places I'd been to. And then when I boxed it off, I'd highlight the whole block or square mile of more in Troy area and Sterling Heights because that was kind of my territory at the time.
0: Ah, this is why I like you. So that's like a systematic approach to domination. I'm just gonna hit every door. How many doors do you have to knock on to get a sale? Did you ever track that?
1: Geez, back in those days, it's been so long now. I think I actually only ended up selling like seven or eight copiers while I was there for about a year and a half. Now, the ones I sold, I had really high margins because I found, happened to stumble upon either the people that needed it or they liked me or I don't know what it was, but I was able to be decently successful. But the issue I ended up having there is it was a commodity at that point in time, yeah. or at least the way our company was set up. I couldn't really tell a customer, honestly, what the difference was between our copier and another copier, because essentially they're all basically the same. Yeah, The solution we had as a mom and pop shop wasn't much better than another one, other than maybe more personal service. But in terms of these machines, you know, you're getting fine, <laughs> you know, it's customer service anywhere because they're not breaking down. And if they do, you call for service tech and they're out there and, you know, a bigger company actually could probably service it better than we could have at that time. So I started seeing that that was more of an issue And I decided to move more to a solution base. And that's kind of where I went to my next job. But that first manager I had, like kind of going back to that, was very good about making sure you have to have a certain amount of calls to get a certain amount of appointments that get you a certain amount of sales. And I remember always had to try to get – I was trying to get the 30 to 50 phone calls every day. So I would go out on those meetings. And this was like – they had just started using customer resource management, so CRMs. Yeah. And I – basically built the entire ter- territory myself. They didn't have leads. So there wasn't like they gave us anything. I, the, literally the cold calling and knocking on every single you door had to go do it all. was mine. So that's why yeah. I had to touch every single door. Cause there was one place that I sold a copy or two that looked like a janitor closet. You know, it just happened to no one ever knocked knock, in. knock, knock. Yeah. I went in there. Hello, they happened to need Mike
0: Calper. You need to buy the sharp. <laughs> exactly.
1: You oh, know. Okay. Well, well, the thing was, you know, that was one of the situations where it was a solution that I could sell them. They were using stuff from uh, Office Max and using ink cartridge-toned things. So, that was
0: terrible. Yeah. Those,
1: they got killed on the per-print cost, whereas, and they were using a ton of it. And I said, look, if you just buy one of these machines for, I forgot what the number was, but you actually end up saving money. For a low, low,
0: low monthly payment of...
1: Well, that was the other thing. That is how a lot of them were sold on lease yep. type of, you know, payment plans. You know, they'd have two or two, three-year leases, you know, five-year leases, depending on what they're looking for, and... You know, the solution they were looking for. And you would be able to kind of tell from there what they were looking at. <laughs> so you, you, you did a lot of selling on the payments then too, right? That was kind of more where a lot of the solution quote unquote was able to yeah. be done, you know, reducing their per month cost rather than their overall bill. Cause ultimately the per month cost was what mass- I mean, which is what mattered the most to them because they were buying all these toner cartridges, paper, you know, and inefficient machines that broke down and then you go buy a new machine. I mean, they were $60 machines, but you know, you can buy 30 of those before you cost one of ours. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So how much were,
0: were the Sharp, um, uh, the Sharp photocopy?
1: They ranged literally from like $2,000 to I think $30,000 for the, wow. like the 100 page a minute ones. Like those things are like the ones you see in law offices that just pump out volume all day.
0: Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah.
1: So after, after Sharp, where did you go? That is when I moved to Thompson Reuters. They... Are a well, they've got a lot of different divisions. I worked in the tax and accounting division. Uh, Reuters News is probably what they're most well known for. So I was in that tax and accounting division. We sold a product called Checkpoint, which is essentially it took the tax code and they had professionals that would analyze it and interpret it for CPAs, attorneys, um, corporations, and their tax departments. So essentially, what I did there was a lot of over the phone selling when I first started there. and this was totally different because it was a totally different base solution, solution based selling product because you're going in there. These people need what you have to do because no one can understand what the tax code says. And I'm pretty sure the people who write it don't know what it means. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, but the the thing was that Thompson Reuters had built up such a good reputation and you know, the professionals they hired to do the, the analytics that a lot of our, products would hold up in case law if they came up. Like You actually cite our sources as a part of the court case if it was ever judged upon. And they say this is where it came from. Wow. And a lot of the authors we had were well-known enough that they would actually have a lot of credit to stand on. So our product really was one of maybe three solutions out there. Ours is probably the most expensive, but it was also, the, in my opinion, <laughs> the easiest to use and have the most relevant information in terms of linking between different documents when it comes to the tax research. So I was able to do very well. there, selling solutions to these people that needed it. And a large part of what I did there was they would have our base subscription and I would call them up and offer different add on options. You know, that's where I'd find out more about their business, what it is they're trying to accomplish, what their clientele looks like. And then, okay, well, we have something that works for that. Do you want to say there's a little bit of time to come and look at it where I'd go on a you know webinar thing and share my screen with them and kind of walk them through. This was a hundred percent over the phone to begin with. Then I kind of went into a different position that I piloted for them where it was more Cause we also had phone sales and then we also had people in the field sales. So they kind of would overlap a little bit. I started a pilot program there where I was responsible for territories that didn't have any in the field representation. So I would call these people to try and service their accounts while no one was there till the position got filled. So it was a lot more pivoting than, you know, just calling certain areas and just keep farming. I had to be able to build a rapport quickly you know, be able to sell to them quickly. And it was not a recurring base commission schedule. So I would have to, it was a one-time and a one-time fee. So every upsell was the next time I got fed. <laughs>
0: okay. So you were basically in charge, not only of territory, but you had to, you had the upsell. So somebody else brought a man and that was your job to maximize, at least in the beginning to maximize the value of each customer. Right. Exactly. And then from there you got promoted or I don't
1: know if you consider that a promotion pioneering to <laughs> yeah, new exactly. territories
0: where you got to kind of figure it out on your own and make something happen. Right.
1: Yeah. And part of the reason why I did that is, it gave me more flexibility. I just read the four-hour work week or I don't know if I read it, or listened to it, an audiobook, something like that. And with that, I was able to get three work from home days. So now I could get my work day done in four to five hours and Smart. be able to spend the rest of my time doing other things, which unfortunately at that time was a lot of call of duty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this was before marriage, right? This was before yeah. marriage or right at the beginning. And it.
0: you're a young man. How old are you? Uh, 29, 29. Yeah. You're, you're a very young man and successful. So it's okay. I remember those days too. What was it? It wasn't call of duty though. I'm older than you. Uh, it'll come to me It was some multiplayer game with monsters or whatever we used to Doom. <laughs> Not quite that old, but I did do that. It was nicer than, I don't know. It'll come to me. If it comes to me, I will I will remember. Also, Lost Civilization. You ever played Civilization? I've heard it. I
1: hadn't actually played that one. Yeah.
0: Well, I got married and that was the end of that.
1: Yeah. I got into real estate and then the PlayStation 4 I got, like when it came out, hasn't been turned on, other than for Netflix for my son then, <laughs> in the, like the past year.
0: I've only played the first PlayStation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. It's That's probably a, a good thing. It's been a while. I don't know. I kind of got left behind on like the eighth controller that came out. I couldn't figure out. They're staying pretty uniform now. They haven't changed too much recently. All right. I got this young kid in here to school me on how I can get back into this. <laughs> They're going to be happy, Gina. So well, so you kind of, you took this opportunity to get more free time to work on other things, mm-hmm. including Call
1: of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> what did you end up doing with some of that time that you created? Well, that was the thing. Unfortunately, at that time, I didn't really use it very efficiently. You know, I, I got kind of over engulfed in the four hour work week when I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be doing more sitting on the beach things. And I didn't actually start doing the part that the successful part of that business in terms of systematizing. I think I might've been too young to really grasp what systems were. And I didn't really have a business plan to what I want to do. I hadn't gotten to the real estate side of things yet. So my mind was pretty small. It hadn't expanded to the point where I'm thinking differently now, where, you know, my free time is how can I get better at doing things and do less of the things I'm doing that It can be replaced with something else or some sort of automation. So unfortunately, I wasted a lot of that time. You know, it really was almost all Call of Duty, which is terrible to say. It's all Call of Duty. I consider it practice, right? You're practicing. Exactly. You know, hand-eye coordination. You got really good. I could talk a lot of smack to these people on the internet.
0: You created all the time, and then you just needed practice on what to do
1: with the time.
0: Exactly. So how did you figure out how to get an eight-hour-a-day job down to three or four hours so you can have more time uh, to play Call of Duty?
1: Well, I think most people can do that. I think uh, office structure is what kills that. You're in. Yeah. I mean, you're in a place where you have to be there for eight hours. So the task expands to the time allotted for it. If you have eight hours to do something, you're going to spend eight hours to do it. When I'm at home and I can go play video games versus work, I get all my calls done right away because I, at least in my personal experience, i get more answers between 8 to 10 a.m. People haven't gotten busy with their day yet. They haven't gotten to the point where, you know, that snowball has hit them and they're just kind of putting out fires. So I found that was the best time to make the cold calls and then schedule appointments for later in the day. And you find if there's an appointment, they're going to be more inclined to show up for that. Not always, but more typically, they're going to be able to show up for an appointment they have on the calendar. Whereas if you're just cold calling them out of the blue and they don't know your call is coming. They, at least in my experience, like I said, is answering calls early in the morning works best, at least in my experience. Okay. Interesting. Do you still do that Mm -hmm. early in the morning? Yeah. I try to have all my follow-up calls done by 10. Having the the newborn has changed that. I used to have a very structured morning that has changed because the baby bomb, I don't know when he's going to want to wake up. I don't know how long he's going to want to eat. I don't know if he's going to fall back asleep after eating. I don't know if he's going to be quiet when I'm eating or he's eating or after that, when I'm trying to make calls. So, that has changed a little bit. I still do get most of my calls done between 9 and 11 now. Uh, so I usually wait till my wife wakes up because she, we have like a little bit of a shift thing. She takes the night till about 3 or 4 in the morning, and then I take everything after that. I've always been a pretty early bird. I used to wake up around Teamwork. five. Exactly. Teamwork. exactly, folks. That's yeah. exactly what it is. And, and you told me the baby doesn't give a shit what you're doing. You know, he does not care. You no, know? <laughs> not <laughs> Feed one day. Me, hug me. Change it, me. Exactly. Love me. Those diapers, man, they just fly off the
0: rack. <laughs> oh man. I can only imagine. It's terrifying. Thinking of that. It looks so cute in the pictures when you post it though. <laughs> I don't see all the work that comes along with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely worth it. I mean, it's the biggest life changing thing I've ever had. You know, I've always felt responsible to my wife and, you know, to be successful. But now that he's here, it's just amplified exponentially. It's crazy. Yeah, I <laughs> you know, that, you know, John Lee calls it the, the baby effect or maybe he stole it from somebody else, but yeah, it, it truly is a different feeling of, of what you have to do to be successful, and what you will do to be successful. Okay.
0: There you are. School of Mike folks. That's interesting. So you were working at um, what was it? It was like a fifteen name company. Was it?
1: So yeah, after Thomson Reuters, Thomson Reuters. There we go. I left them because I started seeing more of a decline. They started not really having as many solutions. They started really crimping down on the things you could do in terms of your sales ba- uh, bag. So the sales bag is essentially the products you could sell. So they started restricting those. It just seemed like it was heading in the wrong direction. So. A recruiter actually had reached out to me. I wasn't actively looking to to jump ship and it was a pharmaceutical sales job that I interviewed for. And when I went on with them, it was forest pharmaceuticals. So you were poached. I was poached. Yeah. yeah. Headhunter reached out and got me yeah. and snagged you. Yeah. And the nice thing about this job was which hindsight's 2020. 20, it felt like I'd have more freedom, but I actually ended up having less freedom because with the Thompson Reuters job, I was able to set my own schedule and schedule accordingly. And you working three different time zones, I was able to kind of be able to pick, (laughs) I was able to pick, you know, when I could do things with the pharmaceutical job, doctors are only in their office for certain period of the day. Yeah. And they're only in certain times of the day and they only see reps during other times of the day. So ultimately the reason I stopped doing the pharmaceuticals is one real estate was, is awesome. I really like it a lot. It provides a lot more freedom. And I found that I starting to make the same amount of money and the upside is way bigger, but I started getting frustrated with having to live on other people's timeline. And that's essentially what the pharmaceutical job became. That's not to say while I was there, it wasn't great. I really enjoyed it. The coworkers were great. We had great medications for products and for patients. But during my time there, that was a really truly relationship and solution-based selling. And the way it started off was that. But we started running into more roadblocks with, you know, Obamacare and then insurance companies. They started dictating a lot more what doctors could do. In terms of their patients, like I had doctors tell me, I wish I could use your product, but one, the insurance has to cover it and these patients can't afford it. And I'm only allowed to do this or this or this on their plan. So even if I did a great job selling it, I didn't have a direct impact on, I mean, I had a direct impact, but I didn't have as much of an impact as I potentially thought I should, you know, I could sell the heck out of it and someone could be totally on board and I still might not get a sale out of it.
0: Mm, That's unfortunate.
1: Yeah. I mean, Oh, don't get me wrong. I did a really good job. They just sent me to Hawaii because I finished in the top 5% of the nation, but The thing is, you know, it just felt like I was having less of an impact and I felt like, you know, doing real estate full-time was more really impactful in totality, you know, for the people that are selling, the people that are buying for me personally, it just seemed like a way better Avenue. And I didn't want to be the guy that went to work and half-assed it. Yeah. You know, in the way the pharmaceutical, or at least our company was set up, we have like these pods where everyone kind of has a shared product bag, not directly one-to-one, but like I had five products at one point in time. So I might share two with one person, and three with another person. So if I half asked it and they half asked it, you know, there's no sales. But if one person did okay, and another person did nothing, you know, I, I didn't want to be the person that would drag somebody down because I didn't work hard and I was focused on something else. And that was a big part of the, you know, why we decided and, you know, not go back after the maternity or paternity. If I took two months off to kind of test run the business and see how the investing part of my life is working out. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I didn't miss going back to doing the sales portion with them. And then I needed that or be homeless on the streets, no money, baby, wife, upset, crying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, luckily, you know, if I really scrip it down and, you know, I started, it's funny, my wife always yells at me because I kind of gone to different philosophies of life. You know, when I got out of college and was at Thompson Reuters, I was really Dave Ramsey all the way, you know, get rid of all of our debt, So we don't have any student loan debt. We paid off almost our entire house, but that's a good thing. Well, then I refinanced it at the HELOC to buy rentals and <laughs> investment. That's in a good thing too, though. Well, that's the thing, you know, so my wife always yells at me cause I'm going this thing and the other thing. So Dave Ramsey was a good portion of my life to get me out of some of the bad debt. I guess I didn't know the difference between it then. Yeah. He was just attacking debt. Exactly. So I was all about that. I got rid of it. I got rid of all our credit cards and not I, we, sorry, Seth, we, we, she was a big part of it and getting on board and you know, student loans and things like that. So we got rid of those. And then started reading about real estate and leverage and good debt, bad debt. And then we started going that route. So I think there's a different time and place and point in your life that things come around. And I think I've gotten to those at the right points when I needed to hear them. And then, you know, as you had just mentioned earlier, you know, it's surrounding yourself with successful people that help get you on that path faster. And I think if I just, you know, I mean I love bigger pockets, if I just listened to their podcast only and just looked on their their, you know, forums. I'd be way behind them where I'm at. So, you know, I was a big part of networking, meeting the right people, finding out how they got where they're going, and then trying to shortcut that is really was made I think, me get to where I'm at, you know, where I think is decently successful. I mean, nowhere near where I want to finish up, but I think it's got me on the right track quickly. Well, yeah, you got that fire in you. I can tell it's burning. That that um, sense of urgency. And you just said it right there. Yeah. The sense of urgency that most people, I don't want to say most people, you don't see it in everybody or, or it takes a while for them to get to it. I've always, I don't know why, if it's good or bad, but I always feel like there's a clock ticking. There is a clock ticking. Exactly. So, I mean, I always have this internal clock, like I'm not going yeah. fast enough. I'm not doing enough. And I actually had to put it in my calendar on Sundays. I just don't do anything, you know, because I, you know, I literally am one of those guys. that will just burn that both ends of the candle until, you know, it gets too bad. I, think. I feel
0: like you and me could have a lot of fun together because that, <laughs> that is, I still struggle with this. I like hard work. And I've made enough mistakes in my life that I set myself back a decade essentially by being stupid. So I really feel like I I have this, I just don't have time unless I want to be old or wrinkly or whatever, or I don't know, relying on social security or somebody else to take care of me. I really got to hustle, man. I really got to hustle and none of us are getting out of this thing alive. No, you know, I got a wife. I eventually want to have kids. You have a wife and kids. I, For the listeners, if if you don't have a sense of urgency, you need to fucking find one. All right. You don't live forever. You're going to die. And this is done. And that's it. And whoever you left behind, think about think about who you're leaving behind and what you're leaving with them. And if that isn't enough to find a sense of urgency, I don't know what to tell you, folks. You got to find it, though. And you recognize it in other people. You got to have the hustle. You don't want to be sitting around doing nothing. Unless it's
1: Sunday. Unless it's Sunday. Yeah. And, you know, you see it at a lot of these meetings. I don't think it's intentional, but a lot of people, they're the perpetual learners. And I think there's a a good point to that. But at the same time, going out and doing something is way different. Like, everyone's a wholesaler. But nobody actually goes and has deals. And they don't want to understand what a good deal is, you know. Going on the MLS and getting it ten grand under asking
0: is not a good deal. Not
1: usually. I mean, maybe if you found something before everyone else did and you locked it up real quick, potentially. But... Well, at least what I find, I'm sure you probably the same. A lot of the investors we, we deal with, they've already looked at the MLS. They've already made the offers. And unless you can get somehow a ridiculously good deal, they're probably not that interested. They want something they're not competing with a homeowner on because the end of day, a homeowner is going to pay way more than any investor. They don't have to make money on it. It's somewhere they'll live. You know, So that's kind of something to keep in the back of your mind is taking the time to educate yourself, but also don't get too far down the education path where you're not taking action on it. You know, there's a, I have all these quotes. I can't even remember who they're from, but there's one that says, you know, motivation follows action. So if you just get out there and start, I don't want to say fake it till you make it, but if you start taking the successful steps, you start finding that successful things happen.
0: Yeah. Don't lie. People that fake it to the make, make it is your attitude. You need to pretend to be successful not lie to other people about being successful.
1: Exactly. You're not a seasoned investor if you no. haven't done a deal.
0: Yeah. Don't tell, talk about all the 10 deals you're doing when you're not doing 10 deals, but stay positive, that kind of thing. And, you know, I would agree with that. I, let's, let's back up here. So before we get too far, have you always had that sense of urgency or did it develop after time or did it, is it something like you cared for you recognized at some point? or
1: I've always been competitive. I don't know that I've always had the sense of urgency for, I've always wanted to be the best and I've always tried to be the best, but it's kind of been a a slowly building snowball. I think, you know, like each sales job I had, I did well. And then I got a little bit better at the next one. I got a little bit better next, one, but I always got bored. And the only thing that I know is it's probably just that entrepreneurial spirit is it's always been burning there and I've never been able to do it until now is I see an end goal ish. I know where I kind of want to be. I, I think there's something to be said about knowing exactly what you want. And then, you know, I know certain people do like the dream boards and and I like those idea. I, I write down what I want in the next year all the time, but I just know I wanted to have to be totally self-sufficient and able to provide for my family, basically do whatever I want. Now, whatever I want can May be whatever change. I want. Yeah. You know, that's the thing is I don't necessarily know a yacht is what I want in 15 years. Maybe it is, maybe it's something I do on occasion, but I know I want to be successful. And I know the only way I can do that personally, the way I see it is through building a real estate empire. Yeah. And, you know, eventually I'll get to that point and where that's starting is first learning about it, then pulling the trigger on a rental, then buying the which second and done. third, yep. and then start going into wholesaling to try and, which really kind of was a pivot point. And that's the thing is if you're too set in the way you're going to go, you might not see an opportunity. You know, my goal is just to buy rentals and that was it. I met with my partner, Mike, and saw what he was doing in terms of wholesaling because he was a flipper by trade for eight years and then started you know doing his own marketing because MLS was drying up. Found that he had too many deals that he couldn't handle. Started flipping them over to other flippers and he made money, didn't have to deal with it. So he was building that business. And if I didn't see that opportunity as a way to utilize my sales experience, which is essentially what it is. Absolutely. You know, we're selling a seller on our solution of why they want to sell to us rather than going with an agent or why going with, you know, Jeremy versus me versus me versus Jeremy, you know, sometimes it's just timing. Sometimes it's personality. I mean, there's no cookie cutter way to do it other than getting out there and understanding people and trying to find a way to turn that into a solution. And that's what I've always spoken. I mean, we refer a lot of our business that we can't do to Joe Dalia in terms yep. of agency, you know? So if it's a, a person that we can't do a deal for, I mean, there's no reason to tie them up or, you know, only keep them on our drip. Cause I, a nice house is a nice house. And unfortunately, unless they just want to be done with it, there's not a whole lot of value add we can provide. Yeah. So, well, that's Joe
0: and Renee Delia at the Delia group, Delia group.com. And while we're talking about it, Mike buys houses for cash.com. And if you want to end up on their list, go to we buy ROI.com. You don't want to miss these deals, folks. Got Mike out here sweating, trying to bring you the dollars. You better be on the list.
1: And if anyone has questions, you know, my email is always open. Mike.Kauper, C-O-W-P-E-R, at WeBuyROI.com. I got a lot of help when I started off, and, you know, I still get it. So don't be afraid to ask for help. I think people try sometimes to know too much, and I think it's as simple as asking someone that's done it. What you know, I mean, yeah, you might sound or feel stupid, but most of us have been there and done that. So we yes. don't think you're stupid when you're asked. It's actually the smart people that end up doing that. There you go. <laughs>
0: I, thank you for clearing that up. because I, Sometimes I know when you listen, it sounds like I'm trashing people a lot. No, I, I'm doing it because I was a dumbass and I was there. There's a reason why I keep bringing these points up. These are hard-won lessons. I didn't have good mentors. I didn't have good examples. I didn't have a good plan. You fuck up your life when you have the, when that is your plan. When you don't have good examples, good plan. You're not hanging out with the right people. You're pretending to know what you don't. Life will not go well for you when you live that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to that quote you had in the very beginning, you know, if you, which I was going to bring
0: up again. I, I shamelessly
1: stole from your blog post. If you don't know where you are going, any road will get you there by Lewis Carroll. You know, and that's, I, I really do want to get back into the blogging. I think I wrote like three or four of them, you know, when I was first starting up, but once again, those pivots happen. You know, those changes. I, I got too busy. I unfortunately don't have time to write it. I, I do have time. I haven't created enough systems to take some of the time-consuming tasks off my plate yet. Why not do um like a YouTube channel?
0: Did you go ever? Did you ever go check out my YouTube channel? I don't think I have. See, oh I, man, it is. You have to go look at it. You go to YouTube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. This is a perfect example of how poorly you can do something and <laughs> succeed at it. I literally took out. That little Kodak, I don't know if you remember when it first came out. There, two came out. There was like a flip one, and there was a Kodak one. They are essentially the same thing. I w- it was about the size of this, and I'd hit record, and I'd literally shoot like this. If you're watching, on the- I have my phone in front of my face. And then I would talk for, i tried try to keep it less than 10 minutes, mm-hmm. usually around 5 to 6, and I'd post one or two every week.
1: Huh. And
0: I just uploaded to YouTube and put it out there. I would watch it. I think you're a guy worth watching. I think I can learn some things from you. Um, I'm scared of trolls. Those guys are mean. Yeah, they are. (laughs) You can disable comments.
1: Oh, I think that's a chicken way out though.
0: (laughs) I read them all. I, I know
1: i would do the same thing too and i'd, I'd get in a fight with them the I, don't, I don't get i used to
0: i don't get in fights with morons anymore
1: that's a good that's a good mentality to have and yeah. if you can remember before you start typing back that's the probably the trick
0: yeah and sometimes they're right which is also why i read them too i read them to toughen up and then every once in a while they're right about something and i'm like okay
1: i mean that's another good point getting feedback you know people are afraid of it and that's it hurts sometimes it you know I, I ask Every seller that, I mean, buyer that's on our list, if they respond to our, you know, ad and they, or not ad, if they respond to one of the properties we get under contract, they look at it or or they just give me their numbers. I always try to get the feedback why they say what they do and what they're thinking. Because one, not every deal is for every person. They have different investment strategies. They have different numbers that they run their business by. You know, they have to get different returns. But knowing that and getting a general idea of what everyone's looking for, you're much better on the front end when you're going to these sellers on what you need to negotiate. Mm. So, you know, just having a general understanding of what you have to get it for is a huge part of it, you know? Absolutely. So
0: let's, yeah, let's, now you, here we are. So you left allergen. Oh, did I say that right? Allergen. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Allergen. You left allergen to go do your own thing.
1: Yeah. About three weeks ago.
0: About three weeks ago. <laughs> wow. That's fresh folks for it. Congratulations. Thank you. Hopefully you got some money in the bank.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Burn your bridges folks. Actually, no, he did it smart. So I am a seller. How do you? I need to sell my house. How do you get me in your pipeline? Take me through start to finish. Obviously, don't give away any trade secrets. Uh, if there is one, I, know I don't I, think
1: there are trade secrets. That's neither do know I, with-
0: but I always like the disclaimer in case there's one thing where you said your partner wouldn't say, I, whatever you don't feel comfortable saying, don't say
1: See the the trade secrets. I think most people have is not necessarily what it's, they're doing. It's maybe the step by step by step process. And the reason why they don't get into it too much, because I mean, that could fill days of content. It would be 15
0: hour podcast, right?
1: Exactly. So, I mean, the the broad strokes, I mean, you can find anything anywhere. It's all free on the internet, podcasts, you know, YouTube, whatever. But uh, the way our business works is actually segmented. Mike handles marketing completely. So we send out, uh, mail pieces. We send out, I don't know the exact number we spend. I think though, somewhere between five to $10,000 sending marketing out. I and mean, we spend a shitload of money. That's a lot of out. money on marketing. Yeah. But we want to build a monster of a business. I mean, that's all we do. I mean, we have properties that we, we, I mean, we don't cherry pick anything. That's the other thing that we do is we want this to be a wholesaling business. We want to be able to build a machine that works on its own, where we can bring other people and start providing for their families in a real estate endeavor. So that's the ultimate goal. So right now,
0: Mike cubed.
1: Mike cubed (laughs) with the other Mike. Yeah.
0: (laughs) If if your name is Mike, no, I'm just kidding. It sounds like an opportunity here potentially for someone who's maybe hungry and um, wants to move up in the real estate world too. So, but anyway, I don't want to get too distracted here. So, Mike. So we Simmons handles Mike all. Simmons
1: handles the marketing. I know we use click to mail. I know there's different services out there. Uh, we use a pretty generic yellow postcard. We find that we get just as good, if not better, success rate with that than the letters. Uh, I mean, everyone has their own different samples, and it's probably depending on what type of list you're marketing to. We try to focus mostly on equity, although, you know, different opportunities we're starting to explore further. So I mean, we just send out mailers and then people call one of our voicemail lines. We let everything go directly to voicemail. There's different schools of thought on that. But part of the reason we chose that avenue is for scale. If we want to continually grow and maybe get into other markets, it's not physically possible to answer a phone call, at least not me personally. Maybe if we start building on a team and get further down the road, that might be something that we you know, maybe sample size it and see if we get better ratios and returns and sales based on that. But we haven't found it to be majorly impactful. What about like
0: a live answer? Like Pat live.
1: We have tried that. Mike actually tried that when I first started and prior to me being there, not a better response rate. And they don't care about your deals as much. They just kind of have this generic cookie cutter, you know, questionnaire that ends up costing more money to have them do it. And we found that it didn't really, because when you're talking to a seller, you want them to be engaged. So by ha- them leaving a voicemail, we have a pretty generic voicemail too is, Hey, this is Mike. We're interested in buying a house. If you name your, leave your name, number and address and something like that, then we'll call you back. And I, a big thing I think is the action part of it. People let them sit there too long. I try to call everyone back within five minutes, if possible, everybody within that's intense, heart. dude. Everybody with an hour. I mean,
0: I'm trying to hit him back the same day. You're like, no, within five minutes.
1: Yeah. I mean, literally, I, I like, need to hang
0: out with you more. is what I need to do.
1: My phone's off right now. I Hopefully, we haven't gotten too many. I mean, hopefully, we have gotten a lot of leads. Hey, but- we'll
0: take this. We'll take this fucking thing live. That's the, <laughs> if it's between you and a house, I'll hit pause. You'll do it. And then I don't want to stand between you and a baby, hungry baby, and a hungry wife at home, you know?
1: Exactly. But, you know, the thing is, I, action in time because what we've heard is the sooner you get back in touch with somebody the much more likelihood they're still by that phone yeah they haven't left the area they're still thinking they called you they're ready to sell they haven't changed yeah. their mind or talked to their neighbor like well maybe i'm not gonna do that or exactly something like that. I mean, you got them in the mentality they're calling you so trying to get them back and and the nice thing i also think we use the voicemail for is it lets you get time to get your wits about you you can get caught off guard with an incoming call especially when they're all random numbers that you've never seen before yes <laughs> so we try to do it that way and then the other thing is you can get into more of a professional setting. You know, I take a lot of phone calls on the road, but this is after I've already established a rapport with the people and I'm, you know, scheduling, you know, follow-ups or, you know, I've, I've left them a few voicemails and they're calling me back at that point. i are not in. taking a live call in a stall on your cell phone. Yeah. Hold on. No, <laughs> no, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what looked, were you saying, Mr. Seller, <laughs> you know, and the people that, I mean, I've gotten to the point where I used to want to look up every number before I called them back. Now I don't even care. You know, I, don't, I just, a lot of Yeah, I don't even remember what the address is. I just remember the Doesn't city. Matter. In. Yeah. yeah. I go, hey, you know, you got this property in Warren and then you are interested in selling. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about it? And that's just how I start off everything. Get them talking.
0: Yeah. it's funny. I do the same thing. Like, what can you tell me? I say, what can you tell me about your house? And yeah. I just shut the fuck up.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, most of sales is listening. Most people don't understand that, you know, they, they see the TV shows and you know, ABCs always be closed and stuff. And, and you are, but It's a different type of clothes. I think that's successful in in the good salespeople are. They let people sell themselves. Most people just want to be heard. They have a problem. They've called you for a reason. And if they say it's just pricey, oh, okay, well, let's talk about price. But why don't you tell me more about this and that? And then you start going down other things, you know, why are you selling it? You know, are you moving somewhere? Are you just trying to cash out? You know, there's, there's different avenues you can take when you're talking to people. The goal that I always have is to try and find what that problem is. There's a problem. There's a reason they're selling their house. They have something else they want. And it's not that home. Now they might want more for it than we're able to pay. And that's kind of where different networks and teams come in or just putting them on our drip and calling them back. That's the other thing. Call everybody until they tell you to go fuck off.
0: That's right. <laughs> I'm a
1: huge fan of
0: that. Well, let's face it. It's something like at any given point in time, less than 5% of people can actually do what you want them to do. Let alone you can con- convincing them of doing it. And the, something like 40% are going to do it in the next year.
1: Yeah.
0: And if there's no way to determine who that 45% is, you have to call, you have to email, you have to text, you have to send mailers. Yeah. They're not likely just to reach out and grab you. You have to go after them. That is the sales part. People, (laughs) some will sell themselves and I would not even, the ones who sell themselves, I don't even consider it a sale. I took an order.
1: That's a very good point. I took
0: an order and I'll take as many orders as I can, but I want to be doing more sales and orders.
1: But at the same time, you got to think if you're followed up three times and then you took an order that was actually selling because because following up is the biggest, not the biggest, I mean, I keep saying the biggest, everything, but there's a lot of big key points that you have to do. It's repetition, continually calling people, not being afraid of no's, but the follow-up is where a lot of deals die. People call them once, twice, and then hang up and never call them again. You know, we continually market to people until they ask to be removed. And then once they've called us, I call them every single month. No matter what. They're gonna hear from me. Depending on how much I want the property, it might be every week, sometimes every day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love your I love your intensity. I need to hang out with you more. I'm like that most of the time, but did I let life get a hold of me sometimes and I get a little drugged down or Something like that. I like that kind of, I'm going to go and get it and it's mine.
1: The thing is, I think everyone can do it. And that comes back to, you know, the four hour work week and, you know, the one thing doing batching tasks is a huge part. That's why I do all my follow-up calls in the morning. And, you know, I'm still doing comps right now. We're going to try and outsource that at some point, but I just don't trust other people's valuation because it's such a subjective thing sometimes. It is. And, you know, you get people sometimes on your list saying, how the hell did you come up with this ARV? Well, you know, you get 10 people in a room, you get 10 different ARVs. I mean, usually... If you're good, they'll all kind of land within a decent range of each other. And that's why I try and lock up a better deal. <laughs> so no one can argue with it.
0: I was very slow to start pulling my own comps, but I was forced to. I agree with that completely because it was screwing up my deals. I thought I was going for maximal allowable offer. turns out that wasn't a good number. Now here we are stuck with a contract 30 days in with no clear way out. And I got to go make the nasty phone call up. Turns out we can't do it at X price. <laughs> Mr. Seller. Would you do it at this price? And that's just not a good way to do business. It's better to get it right the first time around, which is why I started pulling my own comps.
1: Well, and it also gets you in the the mindset of what a a flipper and a a renter, you know, landlord's going to want. As a wholesaler, you know, Mike and I preach it, is you have to be almost as good as a a landlord or a flipper because how are you going to be able to negotiate a deal that they want and then negotiate a better deal so we can make money on it. Yeah. Because and that's all what going to do. You have to find out what their number is and understand how they get to that number. Like I know Josh's valuation very easy on what he wants for a flip. you know, find the ARV multiply it by 0.92 to uh, closing costs and agent fees. 20K for rehab generally, unless it needs a big ticket item. 20K for his profit. There that's, you go. That's his number. And then if a wholesale
0: you, to Josh. That's those are the numbers, folks.
1: I mean, and this thing it's pretty simple with most flippers, though. You know, they know exactly what they want. The same thing with landlords. They know what they want in terms of return on investment. You know, if it's still over market, they're not going to pay, you know, above what market rates are to get, you know, if it's a 2% rule. But you got to take into account what's available on the market, how much renovation. And that's another part, you know, understanding renovation and rehab. And I don't know if you can truly understand unless you've done some yourself or you've gone and walked hundreds of properties and just kind of started understanding how much a kitchen costs in a certain area, how much a bathroom costs in a certain area, how much flooring costs for hardwood, how much it costs for carpet. Do people get better rates than other people? You know, people that do a lot of flips get a better rate on carpet than people that don't. How did you learn all this? Well, Mike, he did so many flips in, you know, his previous flipping life that he helped me walk a lot of them. I do have, like I said, three rentals. The first one was quote unquote turnkey. And it's rented right now. I'm not in love with the, the way the interior looks. I would redo it now, but it was my first one. Yeah. The second one, is, I had to refinish hardwood floors and I had to put carpet in. So I know what those prices are now. Yeah. And then I put in granite countertops. And I mean, I kind of follow Josh's men, method. You know, why not copy the successful people? I may over-rehab a little bit, but I think it's a little bit harder to break a big piece of rock than <laughs> Formica. And they look nice, pe- draws in typically better tenants. So just understanding how I did my own for what I would want it to be like, you know, obviously you understand different markets. If you go into you know slums of Detroit, you're not going to be putting granite countertops in. Typically, I wouldn't think. I don't go to Detroit because I don't understand the city. I don't know the streets. Now, that's why we refer those over to Jeremy and Steve because you know what your market is and know what you know. We are very good in the suburban areas and understanding what those price points need to be. And we understand the streets. You know, We know where the better properties are, where rentals are going to be, where people want to flip at above or below certain streets. And those are just all from experience and the same thing walking houses and seeing what conditions should be like and what they aren't like and I'd say anyone that's starting get into as many houses as you can you know don't call me up and say you want to get my house unfortunately because <laughs>
0: yeah no it's not going to work folks we only get to show a house a certain number of times before you start pissing off the seller exactly yeah.
1: and and you know but what I would say is if you're doing your own marketing and you're go I mean, schedule an appointment for every single house you visit. You can always cancel an appointment later. You know, that's part of my method is I get them on the phone as soon as I can. I get the details on the property. I try to understand what they want for that property. And then I schedule an appointment. I have no idea what the house is really worth. And I try to schedule it out in the next day or two. I can always check comps and cancel an appointment later. But if I've got them on the phone and they are in the selling mode, I feel if I get an appointment set, they might not call Jeremy. They might not call Ron. You know? Oh no, they won't. They're very unlikely. If they set an appointment with you, there some will shop,
0: right? A yeah. Small percentage, but most problem solved. I'll wait to see what this guy says, then I'll start again.
1: Exactly, and, and you know, and that's just—I mean—that's what everybody does. That is successful. They get somebody locked up and not thinking of going to somebody else because all of us can provide a good solution. We we kind of bump into the same people. We often share a lot of the same buyers. It's just who was able to market to the right person at the right time and get along with them the right way. You know, there's definitely different hacks that you can do to make it a little bit better at it. You know, being better people, person talking with people is a big advantage and, you know, understanding how to get some of those needs out of the person, you know, from sales experience, like myself, it helps with it. But if you're out there doing your own thing, get out to every single house you can, because there's no way to get better at it unless you're doing it. In my opinion,
0: it sure is a lot easier to be first, right?
1: it's a lot easier to be first. Cause then what are you going to sell him on? Yep. I mean, I'm not going to go in there if Ron's been in there before and say, Oh, he's not going to perform. Cause he is, yep. you know, same thing with you guys. You know, I, And I've never been a fan of bashing the competition. I, I never I, do I, it. You know, scarcity mentality is I think a disease, even if it's
0: true, you're setting a bad example. Yeah. It's a sign of weakness to bash the competition and, um, and, and how I never understood how it was a selling point. Of course, and they're not going to trust you anyway, right?
1: Because they know who you are. You're that guy calling for their house, right? Exactly. I mean, the thing is, if you can't add value and sell yourself on the good things you do, what is planting a seed of doubt about someone else going to do? I mean, that's a a short lived way of maybe getting a few bucks here and there, but then your name gets around and it's such a tight knit community in the real estate world. I mean, you see the same people everywhere and word gets around if you start doing things like that.
0: <laughs> I always go the opposite way. I'm like, Oh yeah. Who'd you call? And if they, somebody I know, I say, no, that, that's a good person. You should definitely, you don't need me. I would say you should definitely take that. That's probably where I would have been anyway. In fact, that was probably higher than I would have been.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only thing at that point you can do is maybe say you can do it for a little bit more money. And maybe if you are interested yourself or, you know, maybe you have a slightly different list, you can do it that way, but you know, then I'll
0: just co wholesale it with someone. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and the other thing is sometimes it's just rapport. I mean, sometimes people like me more than other people and sometimes like other people more than me. So I don't, Ever give up on a sale because someone else has been there. Hell no. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go and say, yeah, he sucks.
0: Nope. <laughs> the only time I I have done it a few times, I should correct to myself, but it was when they were really criminals. Not a difference of personality. That's a different
1: situation then. People who
0: I know are going to end up in jail are very likely to end up on jail. Then I will say something. But other than that, I don't.
1: Yeah. The the thing you can do that I think is a fair one is differentiate what you do. Yes. So if someone does a process different than us, point that out. And and oftentimes what I find that I'm differentiating from is in an agent. You know, actually I am an agent. I don't use it for listing purposes other than our own property. But when I go out there and a person like, well, I don't know, use an agent. I go, you very well could, but Typically, here's what they're going to try and do. You are going to have a different process. It's typically, I don't say always because there's no surefire anything, but I say typically it's going to take longer. There's typically going to be much more contingencies involved. Oftentimes you have to have a bank that'll have to come through here and that can stretch the process out. And that is what they think they can get you. This is what I will give you. There's a difference between what I can offer to try to get and what I'm offering for real.
0: And might that be? Very well be Mike buys houses for cash.com. Mike buys houses for for cash.com. And if you want to be on the list, go to we buy ROI.com. Get on the list. So Mr. Mr. Miss seller, get a bunch of postcards. They call in, they leave a message. Mike returns the message within five minutes, certainly within the first day, no matter what you book an appointment, no matter what,
1: if I can, I try to do a lot of qualifying over the phone. If, if someone won't give me a price range, I typically try not to book that appointment. How do you get a price range? I want to spread the mic love. I mean, all I do is I talk about the whole house and I go, so what are you hoping to get for it? What are you hoping to get for it?
0: Yeah. I like that. What are you hoping to get for it?
1: And then I don't try and fight them on that. I think...
0: Yeah, I understand.
1: You know, some people try to sell everything and do everything in one call. That's one thing I've learned too over the sales. It's a process. As long as you're always taking one step forward, you're going down that process. Sometimes you can make big jumps. I mean, sometimes people call you and want to sell yesterday. That's a different situation than someone you've got to kind of tug at the line a little bit. And that's part of it is being able to read that. And, you know, my dad actually, he's come back to Michigan. He started trying to do some stuff, but he's trying to sell everything on one call. My dad, you got to take a few steps in between because unless they're extremely motivated and they're calling everybody that they can get their hands on, you've got to take it through a few steps. And that's why I try to find out what they're hoping to get. And then what I do with my appointments, I try to bring comps if you know, they warrant it. So if they're way, way off in the valuation, I look, I mean, here's what is available right now. Here's what things have sold for. And we're a business. We have to use it by numbers. That's not to say you can't get this number. And if you want to try, we've got an agent that's great at doing that. Let me put you in touch. Ah, I love it. And, And that's the thing is, trying to have that solution. based. You're coming on.
0: with solutions. Like, yeah. look, if you want that, I don't think you're likely to get it, but you might get it. And if you're going to get it, here's the best way to get it. Otherwise take my number called hard cash today. Kind of thing.
1: Exactly. And, and lately I've been trying to explore more, getting more seller financing, financing and lease options. I haven't been super successful with that yet, but you know, trying to explain the playbooks so hard to more. get
0: paid that way. I found too.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, part of it is if they're not open to a cash offer, I mean, maybe I'll start, you know, cherry picking a few of them. You know, we'll, we'll try to wholesale if someone's interested in that. But I think there's some a certain amount of trust involved if you're saying you're going to buy it on a land contract and then insert someone else here.
0: That is my problem with it, too, is it's a incredibly small list of people I would trust to refer out. And I just, I don't know, it seems like enough things can go wrong, like to throw that wrench in at the end. But I could be completely wrong on that.
1: Well, the thing is, I'm, I'm trying to see if, if they're not going to take my cash off and they're not. And I know for sure it's not going to be an agent. I'm like, we'll keep them on our trip, but I'll explore that idea. Cause if it is a good deal, then maybe I'll just keep it myself or we keep it in our business to start generating more of that recurring monthly income that doesn't require us to actively market it. Cause ultimately that's the goal is to have that recurring monthly revenue that doesn't require a whole lot of work to be done. And, and ultimately I think that's where the business for everyone has to go. You have to get to that point. Otherwise you've always got a job Yeah. or you have to build such good systems and replace yourself in a way that, it's a recurring thing, but you know, that's the thing about flipping and wholesaling. It's always going to be a job until you it's can active. automate. Yeah. It. It's,
0: it's, it's, it's very active. It is not passive at all. And even passive real estate investing while significantly less work than wholesaling or flipping still requires a regular amount of work. Yeah, absolutely. There's no free lunch folks. All there are better <laughs> ways to make money that require less of your time and or leverage more of your dollars. That's, that's all we're really talking about here, folks. It's not, um, What smoking, uh, smoking Smoking. weed on the beach, (laughs) making billions from my cell phone, taking. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, just phoning it in. Yeah. (laughs) Just it just comes to me on the beach and sex. No, it doesn't work that way. So they call in, leave a voicemail. You return it. Your first
1: goal on
0: the phone.
1: Get stats on the house. Okay. You know because public record is oftentimes inaccurate. Very inaccurate. Yeah. <laughs> so I try to get that information because sometimes maybe a addition was put on and they never recorded it or something. That happens those a nice. lot. Yeah. I mean sometimes the bedrooms just aren't even listed. You have no idea. So I try to get the stats on the house. Big ticket items. You know how was the roof? How's the furnace? Have the windows been replaced? When have you last? That's a good question. I like to ask too because I ask them what they're hoping to get and then say the house is maybe worth a hundred thousand fully renovated and they say they want a hundred thousand. Go. Oh, okay. When was the kitchen and bathroom last updated? And then they're kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe it does need a little bit more work than I thought. And I don't try to say, hey, even on the kitchen or bathroom, you know, things like that, but.
0: Let them come to the conclusion on their own as you ask these questions. Yeah.
1: And that's kind of what a lot of the probing questions are. You're asking questions to try and get a desired result. And, you know, as long as it's used for good, as they say, it's a good tactic because they're going to learn it eventually. If they try and sell it on the open market. Via an agent and they've got the pink tile and they're trying to ask for top dollar, you know, from the fifties, the bomb proof tile bathrooms, (laughs) they're not going to get it. And they're going to be told that in a harsher way, in a longer term way. So I try to go in there. And and one thing that Mike had showed me early on is you never bash their stuff. You need to kind of talk about how at my house, I have this stuff because oftentimes you do, but a new homeowner is going to want everything new. Yes. So this stuff is in good condition and up to date. Exactly. And that's the thing is, you know, it's nothing to say there's anything wrong with this, but what people want now are granite counters. They want newer cabinets. They want stainless steel. They want tile in certain areas. They want hardwood. There's things that they want in different areas. So just bringing that to our attention, they're going to start to see, oh, maybe my house isn't as sale ready as it is. And that's not to try and steal a house because that's never our intention. You know, the goal is, like I said, always to try and find a solution. I think that's part of the reason why the successful people here are successful, like yourself, Steve, Ron, us everyone goes in there with the mentality that we're trying to help somebody. You know, we're not going to just let someone deed their house over to us if it's worth a hundred thousand dollars and there's no repairs needed. I mean, we definitely take it at a discount, but we're not going to just, you know, I haven't
0: stolen a house yet. Have you?
1: No, I mean, I've gotten hugs. I've had someone call and leave a voicemail, you know, how happy she is and how much at ease we're able to do this for them because the people we're dealing with typically have a reason that they have to sell it. You know, it's, it's not our market where the agents are typically selling, you know, sometimes it is, but for the most part, it's people that either don't want to deal with the project that they need to do. They don't have the money for it, their house is maybe not sellable unless you do it as is. And they're basically going to sell to someone like us anyway on the MLS. It just might take longer. Yeah. So us being able to convey that to them in a professional and, you know, understanding manner is, I think the biggest part of what our you know jobs are.
0: Well, let me see if I can help the listener because I got hung up on some of these things too. Number one, it is not up to me to make a decision for anybody else, right? Absolutely. It's my job to get them to make a decision. Mm-hmm. I always give them all the options just because that's what I do. Like, do you realize you can probably make more if you fixed it up and put it on the MLS? Oh, yeah, I don't have the money or time for that. I also like to get the objections out of the way. And then I just make them decide, yes or no, do you want to do this? This is where we're at. Stop trying to make decisions for people, folks. I think this is the problem with politics, too. <laughs> Everybody knows what's right for everybody else. You don't just accept that you don't and let other people make the decisions and just be fair, folks. Just be fair and do what you say you're going to do and it will be fine because I know a lot of people are hung up. Like you said, as you pointed out, when used for good, you're just making people make a decision. Yeah, I'm not going to make the decision for them. And quite frankly, this is a business, folks. Got a kid at home, got a wife, I got a wife. We want to make money too. If you're working at a job, somebody's doing this for you right now while you do these jobs so they can make money. Somebody's selling something using these same techniques so you can go home and bring a paycheck to your husband, wife, kids, whatever. So just get over that, folks, and stop making decisions for other people. So your first, evaluate the house and book an appointment on the first call. Try to, yes. Try to. How aggressive are you on the price? When you like, so like, let's say it's a hundred thousand dollar house and well, I'd like to get 80 for it. I'll be the seller. Well, Mike, you know, I, I was looking around, I saw on Zillow, you know, I know it's not the nicest house, but you know, I saw on Zillow that, you know, a couple houses down the street sold for 110. I think my house is least worth 80. I know it has an old kitchen, but, um, I really want $80,000.
1: Oh, okay. How did you come up with that?
0: Well, you know, on, I see on Zillow those houses were much nicer, and this one isn't as nice. It might need a, a kitchen, or or maybe a kitchen and a roof. But I, you can easily do that in twenty or thirty thousand dollars. So I, that, my house is worth eighty thousand.
1: Okay, so so I would have to update the kitchen and roof, and then well, you're telling me at that point I would probably break even. Then, so I mean, this is a business, and you know I'm not trying to hide anything from you, but we do have to make money on these deals; otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Is eighty thousand the best you think you can do?
0: Well, I don't know. Well, I I might do. I, well, I, but they're sold for one hundred twenty thousand. I mean, how how much does it cost to do a roof and windows? I mean, that depends.
1: Are you going to do it or am I?
0: Oh, I love that. Are you going to do it or am I? I'm going to steal that <laughs> <laughs> shamelessly. I will give you the trademark, though. All right. <laughs> I mean, Are you going to do it or am I?
1: I mean, we got different prices, and and the thing I always like to try and convey to them in you. It takes risk. If we're going to buy your property or one of our investing partners is going to buy your property, they're taking on that risk of getting that one time you think it's worth. So in order for us to build capital into this and put our money up and hopefully get that end price, we've got to have some profit in there. We've got to have a little bit of wiggle room.
0: So for things to go wrong,
1: right? Exactly. So I mean, do you think that's the best price you could do? No,
0: I don't know. What are you thinking?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, let's schedule an appointment. I can't really give a good number over the phone until I see the condition of the property and it estimates on my rehab. So does tomorrow at three o'clock work?
0: Love it. Yeah, that works great, Mike. Thank you.
1: Because I mean, this is the first call, so I have no idea what it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I've already got them down some money. They, they already know their $80,000 probably isn't going to work. And if they get confrontational, then I just kind of let it go because- they're not going to believe me over the phone. I'm just some guy they just called. They've never met me. Yeah. You know, I try to build as much rapport as I can, but sometimes people are short. And when they actually see you show up in the flesh, you've scheduled time, you've taken time to come out and meet them. These are people that are going to be much more open about you. And then at that point in time, they're going to start giving you more of the reasons they're selling it. It's not just that price tag anymore. You know, while you're just walking around the house, and and the thing I always do is I'm taking a bunch of pictures and I ask them, you know, is it right if I take pictures for, you know, as we walk through here? It's a good way to kind of kill some of the silence if you're, if you're going through there, it's not motor mouth the whole time. You know, sometimes things get awkward. If some sellers aren't the most conversational people, so you can start taking pictures of the property and you say, so it's going to help my, my rehab guy take a look at this, or some of our investing partners are going to want to look at this before they come out here and take a peek at everything, but it can kind of slow down the conversation. It doesn't feel as direct to them that you're really punching them. And then not punching is a bad word, but, <laughs> but I'll kind of sometimes as I'm taking pictures, just kind of nonchalantly ask. So, you know, what do you need the money for? Or why are you trying to, to sell it? Or do you have something else lined up already? It seems like a lot of the properties we get have people living in them. You know, it's, they're not these vacant houses. So we have to be extra careful about when we show it to yes. buyers at the end of the day, because.
0: Especially the right buyers. Cause you don't, how many times you have to show a house like that? Two, three.
1: Exactly. And, that, and that's what I tell them, you know, we're going to have to have an investor come out here and take a look at it. They're going to want to confirm the numbers I give them, but that's why I take so many pictures to try and, vet out a lot of them so they can have a better idea before they even come out here. So, you know, while you're walking through the apartment or an apartment, the appointment with them, I find that you're just going to keep trying to talk to them, you know, find those problems that they are having because they're selling their house for a reason. They've scheduled a point with someone like us, and that's not in a bad connotation, but we are a niche part of the market.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So if they've called that, they've got to have something more than just price. They've got to know better. Yeah. They know there's a moron.
0: I've (laughs) been there. I have, I have literally, been there and had to have used people like us to get rid of a couple properties. Not the fun place to be. It was the place I ended up at. It was the best way to get rid of the property fast in the time frame I had. Mm -hmm. That is a very small percentage of the market. That is the niche we're looking to fill. Those are the facts. And without it, I would have been in a much worse situation. Mm -hmm. The rest of them all went to back taxes, Wayne County, all that other stuff. So I only got an opportunity to sell a few of them. This is a short Short time frame, so I was. It is an important service in the market too, but it is a very narrow niche of the market. And if you're calling, you have a good reason, Mm -hmm. whether we can figure it out or not. That's on us. That's on us. (laughs) You know, some people they don't like to tell. They they think they're going to lose when really, if they just tell us, we're probably more likely to be able to solve the problem.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, there's a deal that we're working on right now, and I mean, I could have probably squeezed this lady for another thousand dollars, but she was telling me how she needs every penny for the next step. And, you know, at the end of the day, that thousand dollars, it's nice, but it's going to have much bigger impact on her. So we cut into our assignment a little bit just to get her an extra little bit on it and get her out of her problem in the house that she doesn't want to be in anymore. So, you know, that's the thing too, is you can't always try and, you know, what does I say? Skin the the sheep. You can, you can share it as many shear. times as you want. Yeah. You can skin it once. Yeah. I mean, granted, I know a lot of these sellers you're not going to have to deal with again, but. Referrals. There's referrals, and, and these are people's lives, and they're in a tough spot yeah. when they're calling us for the most part. And that's not always the case, but oftentimes there's a reason they're selling to us, and it's usually not the best situation. So yeah. don't take advantage of them.
0: It's not hunting, folks. It feels like hunting, but it's not hunting. You're not taking somebody out. You're helping somebody. Exactly. And you get paid for helping somebody.
1: And if that's the mentality people should take, you know, especially some of the newer people that are calling, you know, try and find a, a solution for them. <laughs> you know, don't think of it as it's me versus them. It's us working together across the board. Because if you have a good deal, the seller's happy, the buyer's happy, and we're happy.
0: Well, that's the only way it's going to work. If it's, I've found that if it's not that, you don't get to the closing table. Yeah. Things fall apart. Things go bad. When you haven't taken care of the win, 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 mm-hmm. somebody loses and it doesn't actually get to the closing table or you get one out of eight.
1: Yeah. That's the thing is you maybe get the one to the table, but then you, you don't know how many you might've lost because some you always unhappy. lose.
0: Yeah. If everybody's not happy, some, somebody's losing. Do you, do you try and get the PA signed when you're at the appointment or oh
1: yeah, I plan on getting a purchase agreement every single appointment I go to. Really? Does that happen? No. How but- often does it happen? I would say I probably get a deal on 30 to 40% of the, the properties I go visit. Really?
0: Okay. You're doing much better than me.
1: Part of that, and, and this is a tactic that I kind of go back and forth with different people on. I let them know my number. And I think Ron Wallraven does the same thing. I kind of got part of it from him is I'll tell him what I know, pretty sure what we can get it for. But I always let him know that we use investor funding and different you know investors that are probably going to purchase this property ultimately at the end of the day. So this is going to be contingent on them approving that. So if we want to go with a higher number, we can sign the agreement today. I know Ron, I think market is it markets it and then goes back to get it. I get the contract and tell him I can't bring it to my list until I have it under agreement because a lot of people on our list literally will not take the time of day to look at it unless it's under contract. I wouldn't. So I tell them that I go, look, you know, and I, and I try to give them a timetable on that. I'm going to let you know within a week or two if this is going to be something that's going to get funded or not. And that way I'm able to get an agreement in place. They're kind of happy. And then I let them know that if i do come back it's going to usually be with a firm offer. So you know what
0: that's two people now. I'm going to have to start trying this because if Ron and you are doing it and you're both doing you're getting more at the appointment than i am by like triple. So i'm doing something wrong here.
1: Well, i mean think about it this way. So you go out there and the seller wants I don't know for easy numbers they want 10 grand it's worth and you want to pay 5. So okay, okay, i can try the 10 grand, but i know my list. I know the people that i know what it's worth, but you never know. Maybe someone will take a flyer on this one why don't we sign the agreement? I can't present it to them, but we'll find out if this number works. And if it doesn't, I should be able to give you feedback from what my network of investors say. And then you're in a position where if you go back to renegotiate, you're not the dick. Yeah. You've kind of, you've point. kind of put it in a position like, look, we'll try it. You know, this is what you want. Okay. Let's try this way. I don't think it's going to be a great option. It might work. It might not. But then if you have to come back with the renegotiation. They're kind of braced for it. That's a
0: good point. See, and, that can be taught folks. I can learn too. Well,
1: I mean, I learned that, you know, the, the general idea from Ron and then kind of, I think tweaked it a little bit to our own personality and the situations I'm in, but that's what everything is. You learn from other people doing it and then making it your own.
0: Yeah. I kind of went the other way. I was having such a poor success of getting it signed at the appointment. And then when I found when I put 48 hours between me and the appointment and put a layer in my boss and all of a sudden I started getting more PA signed. So I'm going to, That's two people now that said that way. And it is more efficient.
1: I guess what you can, it it comes down to, I guess, who you're talking to and what you're talking to them about. I mean, if it's someone, if you can go with confidence that you know what the rehab numbers are and you tell them that this is what I think it's going to cost to renovate because of my experience of going through these houses and seeing what renovations actually cost. As long as you give a justification for why, I mean, if if they're just sitting there and you haven't said a word, you go, yeah, I'll give you $25,000. And it's a hundred thousand dollar house, but you didn't explain to him that it needs $50,000 in work and why it needs a $50,000 in work. Like you got to tell him, I've got to update this, this, the roof's bad. Uh, You know, we're going into winter. Great question. How do you present your offer, Mr. Mike? I do it verbally. Yep. I mean, I, I, cause what I feel is I, I kind of lowball it a little bit. I I figure out what the number I have to get it for is typically, then I try to add a little extra cushion on that. Cause most people don't agree to the first number, no matter how good of a deal it is. Cause they always want to negotiate. Can you blame them? No, absolutely. No. I mean, I negotiate everything I do too. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so I try to one, be fair. I don't try to overly zealously take someone's house from them. You know, I'm not going to try and build in $50,000 of profit unless it's a project that needs $50,000 worth of profit to, to make get somebody sense. to do
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. Some projects are so big. They got to be a big paycheck to
1: exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, we have one right now. I mean, it's a huge project, you know, and you need probably 60 grand in work, so it needs to have a huge equity spread yep. and you have to have the right investor that is able to take on that project. Cause not everyone can do that. But so, I mean, what I try to do is present them with an offer and I usually kind of lowball it a little bit and depending on the rapport with them, sometimes they'll, they'll say no way in hell I'll do that. Then I just come back, oh what were you thinking?
0: That's all you say? Oh, <laughs> what were you thinking?
1: Okay. And then they give me usually a drastically lower price that might be in the ballpark. So now if we've kind of met in the middle and then we're just kind of more negotiating towards the the right number, and that's kind of where the actual negotiation and purchase takes place. Cause you're gonna find, say they wanted originally 80, and then I'm thinking, you know, twenty-five, what were you thinking? They come down to fifty. Well, probably the, the right price is somewhere in the middle, you know, 40, 45 range. So if now if I can come back, well, would you be able to do 40? Then it's a, a more of a negotiation between them because they knew their first number was outrageous. They know my first number was outrageous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> School of Mike folks. it has got that nine year <laughs> sales experience. So after you get the PA signed, then what, what happens?
1: Well, then I take it back to the office. I scan it in. I send it over to Mike and put it in our Google drive folder. I use my phone for all the pictures and I upload it to Google drive as I leave the property. So, you know, I can get them out to our marketing list. Mike handles the creation of the marketing piece and sending it to the list. Then from there, it's kind of mixed on how I do with the title company. Sometimes I get over to them right away. Sometimes I wait till I have an assignment contract because if the price has to change for some reason, I don't like having to go back and forth a ton of times. Mm. So it kind of is a mixed bag on what I do with the title side of the equation.
0: What title company do you use? Do you like them? You want to give them a plug?
1: We use Michigan investment title. They are awesome. They travel. everywhere. And that is that's based out of Romeo. That's Erica. Um, Yeah. Michael. Michael, Is that a friend's name? I don't know. I've I've never actually met Erica, but we've closed most of our transactions through her. You
0: should. I actually met her before she had her own title company. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Back in the
1: day. I mean, they're great. I mean, they get stuff very promptly. The team over there is very responsive and work with you. They're very investor friendly. They understand what an assignment contract is, which is very important for wholesalers. They build it into the HUD and they're good about separating buyer and seller statements, which I try to keep separate.
0: Absolutely. So,
1: you know, so they are great. I, we love using them. Um, I hate when some of our buyers want to use their own title company because it throws a, a wrench in it. But I t- We just don't. We typically try to do the same thing unless it's maybe like a power buyer that does a lot of volume and they have a system with their title company in place. And, and I'll usually ask for, I mean, obviously I usually, if they're not a buyer we've dealt with previously, it's usually coming from, you know, two or three people. And I ask them well, how are they in closing? And if they say they always close, then I'll use their company because they should be used to it. And especially if they come from another wholesaler, they're used to the idea.
0: I get tired of deals getting fucked up though. We have that happen and then they send the docs out to everyone and blow up the deal, then you got to get everybody back to the table and everybody's mad and hates each other and I've had that happen several times. These idiot ass title companies.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point.
0: Yeah, I, I it just I won't say never, ever, but for sure. That's why I asked to plug. We use Greco title.
1: That's who we used to use until, I mean, someone referred Michigan investment. I think it was actually Ron. And we've just found that Greco's good, but they don't travel as far. They have a lot of offices, but like we do a lot of our closings right at the house now.
0: I don't know if Greco's good or not. This is something Steve and I go back on. They fucking piss me off on a regular basis. How long does it take for Erica to get you a title commitment back?
1: Two days or less. Two days or less? Yeah. For fuck's sake. Sorry. Now I got to um, get my
0: blood pressure. Now band.
1: I don't know the deals that you're working on. There's more. No, there's not moving parts or there's, like a, not. You know, there's nothing special about what I'm doing, but I mean, <laughs> they, they might do more quick cleaning. It seems like a lot of ours are traditional, you know, one hand to the other through mortgages and the nice warranty deed, easy to follow. I don't know if there's more convolution in the deals you're working on. No,
0: there's not, there's not, there's just habit of using sorry
1: ass losers like Greco and, try out Erica. Seriously. she does a great job. I send the email to their main folder. They get it out there. They I've had to ask, I think once or twice when I haven't heard back from them in two days and then it's usually done very quickly from there.
0: Steve, I hope you're listening to this. This is an argument we've had literally like 20 times. We'll test them out on a
1: few deals. That's what we initially did. We used Greco to begin with. And then we started testing Michigan investment and we liked it. They're much more flexible in terms of where you can meet these people at because if there's not a Greco nearby, some of these people don't want to travel. No, and I mean, we like them. How much are the closing fees?
0: I have no idea. doesn't matter. It's fucking two <laughs> convenience. days, two days, convenience. That's and right. And the thing
1: is, if something changes, they're good about it. You know, they don't give us a lot of hassle. They, I mean, we're the customer to them and they treat us like customers and they try to get the solutions for us. Imagine that I am.
0: I am literally okay. I'm going to, I'm going to pass this on to the side. Cause I think I could talk about this for an hour and a half and get all worked up and foaming at the mouth. Two days. I'm glad I asked. So
1: it's Michigan. What's her name? What's her company's name again? Michigan Investment Title. They're out of Romeo, but they will travel for all their closings. They have traveling closers everywhere.
0: And I worked with Erica before she had her own company and all that. And she did an excellent job on all my stuff. That's back when she was working with Progressive Title and another
1: one out of. We've closed three deals at this table. Three deals at this table? Yep. Josh Drillin's place, Epic Management. Epic
0: Management. No, epicpropertymanagement.com. I'd like to thank Josh again for letting us use this space for the podcast today. I'm glad I asked that question. I'm going to smooth over it. You should definitely go.
1: <laughs> we can, you can always give me a call. And we can talk more about it or I mean, I just talk to Erica.
0: I will. Well, I, she, she won't take my calls, but that's another story oh. in and of itself. I had a ex partner, two ex partners actually. Oh, Yeah. And once in jail story, but I I still can't say it bad. I got two and a half more years. Okay. Once the um, two and a half more years, ladies and gentlemen, statute of limitations is up. No, I do not believe I did anything illegal, but that being said, I need to be smart. One of, um, I was a victim too. One of the gentlemen is in jail. The other one got off with a slap on the wrist. And um,
1: I bumped into him at a coffee shop with Mike Dunden.
0: Did you? Oh man, that had to be interesting.
1: He looked like he saw a ghost. Good, good. <laughs> As
0: you can imagine, I don't wish nice things on these people, but I take the lesson. It was a well, it was a hard-learned lesson, but I, but I take it to heart. So, for whatever reason, I did speak to her once. Um, very shortly, but it felt forced or whatever. I don't know. I don't know if she thinks I'm with them. I don't see how she could because, I don't know, whatever reason. I would love to do business with her. She did an excellent job when we were doing stuff together despite all
1: that. Do all email. I mean, I don't talk to anybody there ever. It's all email.
0: All email? Mm-hmm. I'm glad I asked that question.
1: I mean, that's what I find efficiencies on top of, you know, outside of closing. I mean, the email inbox, especially if you use like Google and, and you know, labels and things like that. That's basically my working to-do list other than our CRM for specific follow-up calls to clients. I mean, I have all my stuff in there, easily organized, easily searchable. So if someone calls me, I don't know what their number is. I can just do a quick last four of their number, and it usually pops up their voicemail they left me attached to the address so I can look it up in our CRM pretty quickly. Next question. What CRM do you use? We use REI Mobile. It's one that Danny Johnson from Lead Propeller, and he's a, I think, Flipner? No. No. Not Flip Nerd. Uh, He's got a podcast. He does a lot of flips. Him and Mike became friends through, I think, podcasting. And we're kind of beta testing it. So it's not actually available to the public right now. I don't think it's going to be until sometime next year.
0: So that was um, juststartrealestate.com. So Mike Simmons, I call him Mike Squared. So Mike and Mike work together. And Mike Simmons has a podcast with over 320 episodes at juststartrealestate.com. You should definitely go out and check it out. I think it's pretty good. It's very different than this. And I think that's what I like about it. It's very different.
1: Yeah. He's got a lot of quick blurbs on, you know, how to take action and do specific things. And then occasionally there's like interviews in there, which is more, it's only about, I think, 30 minutes to an hour. So a little bit more focused than. I don't want to say this isn't focused, but. oh no, it's the conversation. It's much more direct yeah. and, you know, led, I think. We're has have an agenda in Two front.
0: to three hours to sit around and chat and listen to podcasts. That's why I like the variety of it. And I plug everybody because I want these things. I want to be able to listen to these things. I want to know what Mike's doing. Mm-hmm. I want to know who he's interviewing because if he's interviewing somebody, I probably want to know him, right?
1: Exactly. So
0: it's juststartrealestate.com. While we're at it, go to mikebuyshousesforcash.com dot com if you're thinking about getting rid of a house, Metro Detroit or where? Where? Everywhere?
1: Yeah, Metro Detroit. We'll do some of um, like Ypsilanti, Ann Arbor area. We've got a dog out in Fenton right now. A dog in Fenton? <laughs> no, it's not it. a dog. It's a nice house. It's just we're trying to wholetail it and lessons learned about not doing that in rural areas heading mm. into winter <laughs> bad timing. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice house. It's way undervalued to the market, but we're trying to do a quick thing. I mean, it's still, I mean, Grant, I guess maybe my idea of quick and what really quick is. I mean, we've only had it for, I think 30 days.
0: Yeah. That's pretty, that's still, you're still good.
1: It's just the thing is I, I like stuff turned in a week, two yes. weeks. So that, well, and that it that's what like wholesaling fits to me. Yeah. yeah.
0: If you want to be on that list, ladies and gentlemen, go to webuyroi.com. Webuyroi.com. And you should go sign up on that list whether you're buying or not.
1: We offer like a – I mean, I'm sure most people do. If you bring us a buyer and you just have nothing to do with it and you just have a person that's interested, we offer a $500 referral fee. There you go. Just for putting us in touch with the buyer. That's why you know, if you're on there and you know somebody that might be interested and can you know, close these deals – definitely be happy to have you. And, and if you're interested in trying to learn how to do this, you know, reach out to Jeremy or I, we're, we're both very, reach open out to, to Mike, <laughs> <laughs> reach out to me that
0: <laughs> reach out. Now you can, you can reach out to me too, but reach out to Mike first. All right, folks, he's, I think he's going to be better at the, the teaching thing than I am at this point in my life. But, um, we buy dot com. Mike buys houses for cash.com. You should go sign up on these lists, folks. If you want to learn a market, I think the first place to start is a wholesaler's list because if you can take that list and you can add rehab plus 30, 35% on top of it, you know what a deal looks like, folks. All wholesalers do, find deals, sell deals. If that's what you're interested in, go sign up on list. Now, if you want to be a listing agent, there's nothing wrong with that too. Joe Delia is killing it. Yeah, The Delia group.com Joe, De- Joe and Renee Delia. You can do that too. There's nothing wrong with that. And they're killing it there, but as a completely different, separate model from this.
1: Yeah. If I didn't find wholesale, I probably would be a listing agent because, oh. I mean, it's it's a good business. I mean, Hell, yeah. you're helping people out, but I just like this fast paced scenario much better.
0: <laughs> I may be a convert at some point in time. I don't know. Joan Renee did 32 deals last month. 32? Rushing it. And they're just getting started. Their second full time year. 32 deals closed. I started running the numbers. I'm not going to say it on here because it's not your damn business internet, but they're big. <laughs> These are there. It's he's, bigger he's than anything I've right. seen in a long time. Huge. So, and there's nothing wrong with one way or another, but we buy ROI, go sign up, look at it. If you're interested in getting started, contact Mike. What are you working on right now? What are you guys looking to do? What do you think the future is looking for? Who are you looking for? What do you need help on? I want to make sure we cover everything on this podcast, man, before we move on to the next section.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, our our business model always trying to find more deals, you know, marketing. That's our big thing. We send out a lot of mailers. Uh, we've recently got a AdWords guy that's helped us with some of the online marketing pieces and, and getting more leads through our website. Just started using some bandit signs in, in strategic areas that we think to be beneficial. Actually, one of which we've already made, you know, back our money and then some on. Really? Yeah. I haven't
0: had much luck with bandit signs
1: you know, sometimes right place, right time. Today might
0: be the day I'm waiting on a fax PA from a bandit sign, but oh, that'd be excellent. That would be,
1: yeah. I mean, we weren't sure. I mean, we just kind of did a little test run. We got, I think 200, you know, signs just threw them out in different areas. I don't want to be too specific. No, of course not.
0: Don't share. (laughs) Don't share that. You want to figure out where to put those. You can go test it, ladies and gentlemen, or I'm
1: sure for the the right price or the littering that could be associated with it because some areas don't
0: or the fines. Exactly. So,
1: we, we try not to be obnoxious with them, but, you know, put them in strategic intersections where you get a lot of people, maybe certain hardware stores where yeah. people are renovating things. <laughs> it's
0: walking a fine line using the signs in, in certain cities. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. So uh, we're, we're testing that. And now we're, I mean, our biggest thing is always trying to find more and more buyers. I, I have a, I know for a fact Michigan buyers are extremely spoiled. For yes. the most part, you know, they, they won't look at certain deals unless they're just crushing it, which isn't, I mean, the bad thing, but we're trying to probably expand more of our buyers to other areas. Maybe they don't have the opportunities that we have. Like if you aren't getting a huge return, like 20, 25, 30% on investment for every property, they're not really happy in this area where other people would be happy to get, you know, 1%, um, you know, the 1% rule on rents, where if you're not getting 1% here, something's probably wrong. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, you, if you're not getting 1% in Michigan, you just need, I don't know, you need to hire help, good <laughs> help, because you're screwing up somehow. That's the good thing about Michigan.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's kind of where we're looking Is And the other thing is, the more buyers you have, I just think the more opportunity you are to, to make sure something moves, because not everyone has the same buying criteria, and that's the thing. And then you can't be held hostage by your list. Not that we've ever had that happen, but I could foresee it potentially being a problem at some point in time. If you don't have enough people that are interested, then you don't have as much of an opportunity to one sell that, I mean, solve that seller solution. If there's only one person that might be interested, they have all the cards in their deck yeah, and they can try to lowball the number like they would on the MLS. But as we found, we've been very lucky with, we get usually pretty awesome deals and most of ours move quickly. So if someone kind of hems and haws, it could be gone before they give me a call back.
0: You better know what you want folks. Basically. Otherwise you could not get the deal. I bring that up all the time. It's not up to us to know what you want to buy. We're there to present the best deals we can If you're interested, you better move because somebody else might.
1: And that's why I always tell people on our list too, is, you know, always bring an offer. Always tell us why you're, you're offering certain things because, you know, sometimes we can go back to those sellers. Like I said in the beginning or earlier, you know, we want to get feedback from our people and present a real offer. If it's a higher number than we think it's worth, or then we can actually make money on. And the other thing is just helps us understand what you're looking for specifically. You know, sometimes we have some extra room in there. Sometimes we don't. And if you make an offer and we just want to you know, move on to the next one, sometimes we'll take a lower price than what we're asking. But other times, if someone comes at the full price that day, I mean, we give our deals to the first person that gives us non-refundable EMD. Always. Non-refundable EMD. Always. That's the only way it comes off. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, serious, right? You want to deal with serious people.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. People try and throw in contingencies and where I find that the most is maybe the the unseasoned investor or agent. They, they try and do with contingency. I'm like, look, we get these deals because we don't have these contingencies. We can't do a three-hour home inspection. If you want to send your contractor over there and walk through it in you know, 20, 30 minutes, that that's probably okay. You give them 20 or 30 minutes? That's, you're generous, Mike. Depends on the property. If it's something that really needs a lot of work or potentially could use a lot of work, I try to build that in in the conversation with the seller to begin with because I It needs a lot of work and, and, you know, most people can eyeball it, but you know, all it takes is one investor getting burned on something. They're going to want to check that extra specially, you know, maybe there was mold in the attic space or maybe they're actually going to want to get in the crawl, which I don't do either of those things. Hell no, (laughs) I am
0: not getting, I'm not crawling and I'm not climbing. Exactly. Somebody else can do that. I'll maybe put my camera in there and take a picture. What happens happens, but that's, that's all I'm doing. So yeah. Okay. That's interesting. (coughs) Excuse me.
1: Are you looking for anybody or are you guys
0: hiring, trying to expand, anything like that?
1: We have been talking about maybe bringing on someone to help with the the closing coordination. You can find a lot of times that people or not people that just the back and forth that can happen with the title company needs a document for this or the person needs something for that. And it, it ends up being a lot of legwork, especially coming down to the wire and maybe showing up for the closings to make sure that everything goes smooth. Uh, as well as someone maybe to help out with the, finding out the ARVs, because I find us in sitting there looking at comps can eat up you know two hours of your day if you got a bunch of them in there. Oh, yeah,
0: they can eat up a lot of your day.
1: So trying to find ways to, to increase efficiencies. And you know my best time value is being with sellers and going on appointments and getting contracts. If I can try to reduce the amount of everything else I do, that's good for us.
0: Absolutely. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm actually trying to get to the point where I, I don't even go on appointments anymore. Somebody else is, and I'm just banging the phones because... That's where the money's made. Bang it. Setting the appointments where the money's made. Then go get the PA signed. I'll go get the PA signed, but I don't need to go and inspect every single house, especially considering I'm only getting a percentage of them. Right. Yeah. Can I farm that out? Well will stay tuned if that's successful or not. So, so you look, are you looking to hire somebody Maybe put it out there?
1: Not quite yet, but if you're interested in something like that, I'd say definitely reach out to me and shoot me an email because if not now, we're hoping to probably do it soon. And you know, that's kind of how I got in with Mike. He wasn't ready to hire somebody, but I just kind of showed up at the right time and it was the right fit. And it's the best thing I ever did. <laughs>
0: so that's Mike at we buy ROI. Mike. Mike C O W. Calper
1: P E R at we buy ROI.com.
0: We buy R-O-I. com. All right. On to the next section. Uh-oh. My favorite part. What books, podcasts, movies, documentaries, websites, blogs, anything like that that you would recommend or were pivotal in your career, um, taught you the best, got the most value out of, and then we can move into kind of like success habits, things you do every day or things you do in a particular way to get you the results you want.
1: Okay. So books, Gary Keller's the one thing. Awesome. Yeah. I recommend that. Love that one. Uh, Miracle morning. That's how I set up a lot of my mornings. Miracle morning. What is great? How Alrod, it's basically, um, it's basically what everyone's heard, but it puts in a very condensed and easy to understand version. Uh, he calls it six tasks issued every morning. The savers one is sit in silence, read your, or speak out your daily affirmations, visualize your successes, exercise, read, and scribe like journaling. So those are things I, before Ethan tried to do every morning, but now he kind of throws a wrench in that. I used to wake up at five and you know, spend like my first hour doing that every other morning now.
0: Right?
1: <laughs> no, I always get the morning shift. She always gets the night shifts.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, but actually getting it done, doing your affirmations. Oh you yeah. You can
1: do it with the baby. What? I don't, I'm, I'm weird on certain things where I, if it's not like in the, the right structure, I tend to not do it. I don't know why it's, a, it's not a habit. That's great. Like if it's not at the same time every day, I start to kind of get on with my day and forget to do things. So if it's not like the first thing I do. It, gets put on the back burner, unfortunately. So I try to...
0: I don't know if that's a bad thing. I don't have a kid, though, so I don't know. I'm talking out of my ass
1: here, yeah. folks. I, I have no
0: experience <laughs> in this. Uh, as far as I understand it, a child is like a nuclear bomb in your social <laughs> and private life, right?
1: Yeah, they make it much more restrictive to do the things I used to do. Yeah.
0: So, And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just you, it's had, a different thing. You, had a, you had one life, then you had a baby, and now you're on to another life. And that's just the way life is for the next 18 years or something like that, right? <laughs> exactly.
1: All right. And what do you, so that's Miracle Morning? Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. It's a, it's a really good book. Uh, I used to love reading a lot of fiction. I haven't read that in a while. Ain't nobody um, got time for that. That's kind of the unfortunate thing. I was reading a lot more and one of those things where I got busy again and then, you know, it starts to fall. I was trying to read a book a week and then it turned into a book a month. So I'm on a book a month.
0: I can, I can manage a book a month and not have my business and private life completely fall apart. Mm-hmm. 300 350 pages basically <clears throat> every time i'm taking a crap i'm reading right <laughs> i could get through a book a month or maybe a little bit in the morning or a little bit in the evening but um i did notice a difference when i didn't read right? i call them the lost years where, where <laughs> i stopped reading that they, they did have an impact on my life so
1: well i think what i've negative been, what i've been counterbalancing with is podcasts i listen to a shitload of podcasts
0: well, Lay them on me, sir. Lay, so, grab your thing. What so I think I listen to more
1: podcasts to? than maybe anybody because I listen to them on three times speed. So everything sounds You're a like beast, a chipmunk. Mike.
0: You're a beast. You listen, you literally listen to it on three
1: times speed. Yeah. Here, uh, this is the, the <laughs> podcast you had with Tommy. Oh, wait. Yeah.
0: Hold it up to the,
1: oh, it's on silence. Never mind. I'll do it later. Um my phone, it's got updates, so I don't know how all the things work on it. But that's okay. So the podcasts I listen to that are instrumental. I have some entertainment ones on there too. But uh Play
0: them all. Entertainment's part of life, so, right?
1: Pardon the interruption, I listen to that because I got rid of cable. But that's my sports outlet that I really like to listen to because they're short, condensed, kind of highlight reels. Uh just start real estate with Mike. Yep. Less just do- start
0: real estate.com, folks. Go.
1: Uh Less Doing More Living. It's all about uh automations and efficiency hacks. Uh, that's
0: less doing, more living.
1: Yeah. Okay. Best real estate investing advice ever with Joe Fairless. That's a good one. Bigger Pockets. Yep. Uh, Cash Flow Diaries with Jay Massey. That's one I've recently started listening. That's really good. Man, I haven't heard that one. Was that one again? Uh, Cash Flow Diaries with Jay Massey.
0: Jay Massey. Okay. This will all be in the eventually in the show notes, folks. Too. I mean, definitely take note because it might take me a week or two to <laughs> get the show notes done, but uh, they will be there eventually.
1: I listen to entrepreneur ah, entrepreneur on fire. That's a good one. Uh, hardcore history, which love is that. awesome. Yeah, uh, Tim Ferriss' podcast, Freakonomics Radio. Uh, I listen to Bill uh, Bill Burr's Monday morning podcast.
0: <laughs> I love Bill Burr. Actually, Bill Burr. Okay, so just for the background here. Bill Burr is one of the podcasts I'm kind of structuring this podcast around too, and how I speak and how I approach it. Because he has an amazing podcast. He's literally just talking about his life. Yeah. And he's doing it in a manner that I'm completely engrossed And bullshit. It's literally, I don't know why I care, but I do. It's so funny, too. And he's hilarious. He's like, oh, good morning, everybody. (laughs) Just checking in on you. How are you he, doing? When he does the yell away from the mic. Oh, love it. <laughs> you know, he has an excellent podcast and he's a good example of what being a beast and consistent will do. He has so many podcasts out there. I, I came, you look at, he has like eight, nine years mm-hmm. of two podcasts. It's just the man is an animal. Yeah. He's got a work ethic. He should be selling really, he, He'd be a fucking billionaire if he was selling apartments or condos or something oh, like that. He's just a funny guy. He, he's just like an animal. I love his podcast. I love that you love his podcast too. That's Bill Burr, the Monday morning show. And then he has a second one he does on Thursday, which is sometimes on Friday. And it's the yeah. late Thursday, early Monday morning podcast that's sometimes released on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Joe Rogan.
1: Yeah, I got Joe Rogan on here, uh Radio Lab, Star Talk, Real Estate Investing Mastery. That one's almost exclusively whoa. to wholesaling. Whoa, 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 what was that one? Real Estate Investing Mastery with Joe McCall? How did I miss that one? It's a good one.
0: See, this is why I love doing this, folks.
1: Uh, um Rich Dad Show, House Flipping HQ, which used to be better. I'm not a huge fan of it anymore. Uh he's kind of gone a little more off the cuff, like just recording in his car and stuff like that. So went down a Grant Cardone Cardone Zone. I love that. Uh, Real estate guys, and yours truly, Detroit Renegade Investors.
0: Thank you. Well, at least I'm on episode 11. Hopefully I have a little longevity, right?
1: Heck yeah, I'm sure you will. Well, let me ask
0: you a question. I have booked some startups. I've always wanted to make Renegade Detroit Investors about real estate and business, But it ends up being like 90% real estate and 10% a business. And one of the reasons why I left the old format and went to the new format, besides just not being successful, was to try and incorporate this. And so I'm starting to book startup stuff. What do you mean by startup stuff? Like, for instance, we will – I don't know if I want to say. So brick-and-mortar businesses starting up. Okay. Online businesses start up. They're now – And various stages of being successful or not, but not necessarily directly associated with real estate. There might be real estate involved, like an actual physical location, but how they started the business. And I'm just curious because I realize that most of the people around me and a part of the Renegade Detroit investors, mostly just they're coming for real estate stuff, but I've always wanted to make it business first because real estate's about business and then it is a business if you're doing it right. Correct. Right. Which we haven't all done it right. And I spent most of my career not doing it right. And I'm still in certain aspects not doing it right. But I've always wanted to treat it like a business, right? Just like rich dad, poor dad, right? Mm -hmm. Treat it like a business. I don't know. How do you think, um, are you interested in that kind of stuff? Like if I'm bringing business owners who are doing startup businesses, brick and mortar, Online And I talk to them the same way I'm talking to you. How interesting is that to you?
1: Very. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, I have like entrepreneur on fire, isn't very real estate related. Occasionally I have a real estate investor on there, but the business success habits can translate beyond just real estate. I mean, how someone markets for coffee or real estate, probably pretty similar. You know, you can, you can kind of draw a correlation, at least the habits of it, like continual marketing is going to get you a continual amount of certain things, Yes, yes. you know, systematizing, maybe it won't tell you exact how to systematize real estate, but building systems and maybe a way they do it. And you can take their playbook and amend it to how your playbook is going to look because systematization for my business and, you know, Mike and I's business is going to be different than a systematization of a flipper's business or a landlord's business. So taking the general idea of maybe, you know, for like a standard operating procedure, And having someone explain how they do it exactly makes sense because then you can just take that process you need to standardize and then make your own checklist for it. Okay. So So. I think having any business, because the thing that a lot of people like, and at least I like is hearing the struggle of getting to being successful because you know, what are they all the overnight success said, you forget about the first 10 years of me getting there.
0: Yeah. There's no overnight success folks.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But, But it gets sensationalized like it does. So I think by you being able to bring that to them, especially with local people and people that could network in that way. And you know, maybe that's another way people can leverage each other. Well,
0: that's another, I was also going to make sure I got out of state as soon as possible too, with an episode. Cause uh, that's your
1: best way of expanding. I
0: don't want to, you, you, we all know the podcasts, uh, a lot of things we start in life or podcasts we used to love. And then they go sideways and I just, I really don't want, that's why I drink these terrible monsters too. Cause I want to be <laughs> this boring guy on the podcast or on the video I can't stand this shit, and it's the only time I ever oh, yeah, drank it. But um, I, I just I don't want to have this podcast Twitter out, and, and there's just not enough real estate. And I've always been more interested in business anyway. And what are you supposed to do with all this money, folks? Buy more real estate. Buy real estate. <laughs> invest in businesses. Uh, a pizza place, coffee shop. I did book um, Amanda Brewington. Always brewing Detroit. She has a successful startup. It's a great shop. I love it. Northwest Detroit. It's amazing coffee. She's a great person. Go to alwaysbrewingdetroit I believe I have her booked for November twenty third, which means it gets released the next week out. So, but anyway, I just I digress. Thank you for your feedback. I thought I would ask you and check. I'm gonna keep checking with everybody too. Um, so those are podcasts you like. I uh, took the liberty of going to your bigger pockets.
1: <laughs> I don't get on there as much as I used to. It's funny how, when you get busy things that, I mean, when I first started, I was there every day, but you start learning other ways and priorities take place.
0: The problem I have with forums is all the keyboard warriors. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? My dick is bigger than yours. Cause I can type faster. So, but you had goals without deadlines or just dreams. Yes. Yes. That was a blog post. How do you eat an elephant? That was a blog post. The harder I work, the luckier I get. I like these. I went, I went looking like, man, we're going to have a good podcast today <laughs> talking about that. How do you set your goals? Or, or, or I know you have a, a routine too, but what does your goal setting look like? How do you set the goals? How does that fit into your success plan?
1: Well, I think one thing is, you know, your goals have to be somewhat static, but also movable, you know, changeable because priorities change, desires change. So just being rigid towards that, I don't think is always a great idea. But the way I set my goals is I try to find out what I'm truly passionate about in terms of, uh, Ty Lopez. I used to listen to a lot of his stuff, but he was preaching like health, wealth, happiness and love. What are, what are your four pillars? And I try to identify something in each one of those stages to make what is my wildest dream successful? And then kind of one thing it all the way back, you know, to what can I do today? So the ones I write down are typically my one year goals. I mean, some of the goals that I had on those posts have changed since then, because my life has changed in terms of what I'm doing for a living, what I'm doing, lifestyle family, the people I've met baby. Yeah, exactly. So I try to find out what I want to do and then I try to make it a stretch you know, always make it a stretch goal. I think, you know, Grant Cardone, I haven't read his book yet, but I keep intending to the 10 X rule. It's a great book. You know, he says, go get yourself an extra zero, which is awesome. I think that's really great. (laughs) Um, so, you know, doing it that way, because if you don't try and push yourself, and I found this in all my sales quota goals, if I just shoot for what my goal is, I find those are the months that I had the hardest struggle of getting to that goal. But if I was, you know, if I knew I had a good opportunity for 150% of my goal, I either got it and or Sometimes I'd even do better than that because you're shooting for a high mark. And you know, I think success begets success. The more you get it, the more you do it, the more it becomes a part of your habit and your routine. So, you know, the goals I have is I'm trying to get to a certain weight by our anniversary when we're going to, um, Back to Jamaica for our five-year anniversary. I have a goal to wholesale 10 deals a month at $10,000 assignment fee a month. Hell yeah. You know, I've got a goal.
0: 100,000, month, 1.2 million a year, right?
1: That's just this year. That's, that's <laughs> just this year, folks, ladies and gentlemen. So, you know, I try to set goals that are, I think, attainable. You know, right now we've got seven deals under contract for this month. So, you know, if I get three more and hopefully the, the assignment fees are right there, obviously they've got to be the right deal and they've got to make sense for the end buyer. But- I think when you have that mentality, your subconscious has a way of delivering it.
0: Well, I always look, if you don't have something to aim for, or let's go back to the show (laughs) quote, folks, right? If you don't know where you are going, any road will get you there. You have to set, I've always looked at it like this. You have to know where you want to go. And I've always had that part down. What I fucked up for a lot of years is knowing where you're at. It's kind of like when you're in a map, right? You go to Google Maps. You're like, I want to make X amount a year. I want to work this many hours a week. I want to do it like this, right? Well, to get there, you have to know where that is and where you are. Mm-hmm. I always knew where I wanted to go, and I, but I just never, for many years, I ignored where I actually was. And you need both to kind of get there. So. I heard
1: on your, your other podcast you're doing more of the quantified self and, and tracking of everything. I, I keep trying to do that, but then I find that I forget to do a lot of stuff like, like in terms of I do steps too. and things, you know, I do like, too. so I'm right on board with it. You're right. You have to know exactly where you're at. And even it's like a weekly check-in that I have, you know, send myself a reminder email that comes through to try and figure out, well, how have I done? Like I send Mike our stats for every week, how many appointments I schedule, how many contracts I've got. And then he handles more of, you know, how many postcards that we sent out. We track all of our postcards based on the Vumber voicemail that it comes into. So we can kind of see which ones are generating the best idea, uh, our best returns. Like we just found out we don't get shit from Northville. We sent out a lot of mail. We don't there. get
0: shit from Northville either. So we're,
1: we're considering, well, Do we? is that a good use of our dollars in marketing? Should we reallocate that somewhere else where we get returns? Or do we kind of keep hitting it for, at least for one turn? Because I think average across most sales is seven touches is when you get your deal. Yeah. So have we hit it enough to, to know for sure that we've done a, a good, solid effort there? But.
0: I don't know the answer to that because I've gone back and forth too. I I'm like hit them every month and then shit, we haven't gotten anything in a year.
1: See, so at that point, I'd probably reevaluate, you know. But you're right; it's whale it, hunting, though. Exactly, that's thing. You get one deal, it pays for two years. <laughs>
0: pays for two or three years of marketing, easy, you know. That's that's the whale hunting part. Yeah, I know the 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 personal tracking stuff. I fail all the time, so. I'm basically deprogramming an entire life of doing everything wrong. So I try it. Sometimes I I just literally feel like I'm just screwing up all the time because I am right. I just try and break it down into smaller pieces like, hey, I may have screwed that up. No matter what, though, I can't beat myself up about it, but I do need to recognize it. I need to say I screwed that up. I have to hold myself accountable because that lets me know where I'm at.
1: There's something I started doing. It's one of those things I'm on and off with, but I, I tried to do it all the time is every night. I try to think of three things that I was good at and grateful for, for that day. Oh, it's a good mentality builder. Cause it's like a muscle. The, the less grateful you are the less time, you take time to think about it, the less that you feel like you're doing good things. But if you just I take should time, do that for my wife, it's a really good thing. And the thing is I try to create, or when I was doing it regularly, I try to do something new every day. So I couldn't just say, I'm thankful for my wife today. And I'm thankful for my wife today every single day, you know, try to find something unique to that day. Yeah.
0: thankful about her that day. That, yeah, exactly. I should do that, dude. And, I'm implementing that tonight.
1: I mean, it's a great, you know, muscle builder because the more you start to do it, the more you start seeing things and the more you're aware of it. So you're driving through your day and, you know, you saw somebody that did something nice. Well, you're kind of grateful to see that then. And you start to notice more of the stuff that's going on. And then the other thing is I try to think of like one or two things that I could have improved upon. But knowing that you've done successful for that day helps you go to sleep a little bit better because, okay, it wasn't just, I mean, successful people are, are their worst critics, I think, for the most part.
0: I would agree with that. Because
1: nothing's ever good enough or else we wouldn't have that drive to keep getting better and better. I'm never better. happy.
0: I always feel like I'm slow. I'm late to the part. You know, that's, I don't know. Maybe you no, feel that feel, way too.
1: I always feel like I'm doing something that I could have done something a little bit better, or did a little more work in today but it's taking that time to appreciate what you've done and what you've gotten done. And then also realize what are we working for? That's something that I've kind of really been trying to focus more on too, is, you know, spending, make sure I'd not have my phone on for a few hours when I'm spending time with, you know, Steph and Ethan and take Sunday off because if I'm working for a reason it's to spend time with them. But if I don't spend any time with them, cause I'm working why are you working? Exactly. Yeah. You know, you get stuck in that loop sometimes. And I think it's an easy loop to fall into because Ambitious people want to be ambitious and keep getting better, 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 more, more, more.
0: I did it for years. I almost ruined my marriage doing that. Working around the clock, 90, 100 hours a week, no break, no vacation, work, work, work. Nobody wants to be around that, you
1: know? No. And and you think you're doing it for your family, which you are. But at the same time, if you're not spending time with the family that you're doing it for, then you're not doing it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Intentions, while important, don't outweigh results you know, the
1: road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's right.
0: (laughs) And I, I did that for years and that's something I guard against, um, pretty regularly now. So yeah, if you're listening for you want to have some hustle, but, uh, don't let the hustle get in the way of your personal relationships. It's going to take a lot of time to repair that stuff. You mess it up or you could just ruin it.
1: You know, remember what it's for you're doing the work. You're trying to be successful for something, you know, you're trying to be happy and what is that happiness? And then make sure you, put time into making that happiness be there regularly. Don't wait till you're 70 to enjoy life.
0: That's right. Do you remember your first deal? I love this question.
1: I do. Cause it was about a year ago. Wasn't that long ago? <laughs> no. Um, he's got fire in his pants, ladies and gentlemen.
0: First you, deal. My Yo. first
1: deal. I actually went through like a mentorship program where I paid someone to kind of help me shortcut the, And I find completely valuable, but I paid someone to kind of shortcut the learning process. I could have found everything out, out in my own research things and, you know, maybe got the shiny object syndrome where you never really, you know, analysis paralysis, they call it. So I had a mentorship program that helped me identify a deal. And then I was able to secure some private funding from a family member. And I used that to purchase the deal cash. And it is in Livonia down near, geez, I've been there so long. I don't remember. It's a rental. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, the other you have thing to is fix
0: it up and all that, or
1: that was the one that I had mentioned. I, I wish I would have renovated a little bit better. Ah. I got it. And the, the people I with was working with, I think they are good mentorship wise in getting people started in education, but I don't think they're, they were as experienced in the now. I think they did it a lot for it then and then turned into more of a teaching role and might've lost slight touch or, or maybe their standards aren't just as high as some of the people I've been networking with. And yeah, they
0: could just have a different business model too.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, Everyone's different. And I'm, they didn't give me any wrong information. I just personally now where I'm at and the business model I've got, I'd prefer to have probably renovated a little bit nicer and done a few different things.
0: Like Josh Sterling, Jesse Boyd, Michael Dundan, do a really nice rehab, get a nicer tenant.
1: Exactly. I, I really subscribe to that, you know, bulletproof it out right up front, you know, spend the money and you try to think, make it so you don't have to do a lot of turnover stuff. So, I, if there's hardwood floors, I like to finish them all the way through because you know all you have to do is throw lacquer on it next time with a buff. Yeah, I don't have to replace the carpet every time. Now, Josh, I know uses a different model. He likes uh hardwood in the main areas and then carpet in the in the in the bedrooms just because it's softer to get out of. You know, That's what I
0: used to do in Detroit.
1: So I'm just, I'm going back and forth. I'm kind of testing that. I've done one each way, so I'll see if there's a, a difference in tenant tenure or feedback. But uh that deal. Was a four bedroom, three bedroom. It was was one of those weird fourth bedrooms that's kind of more of a study, but it had a closet and it was a walkthrough area. It didn't actually have a full one. It was really a three bedroom, one bath. I don't think I've bought one with a garage and a basement yet. I just finally bought my first one with a garage.
0: No garage?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So my first two had no garage, no basements. Really? Yeah. But you know, you get a better deal. And I didn't have my experience then. I, I think. There's a certain point where you can start being more selective than other points. I'm not saying by dumb, but there's a reason Jesse and Josh are very yeah. selective. They've got the portfolio now that they can be selective. They've got generated income every month that they know they're going to get right now. I need to build that portfolio. And then as I get more secure, I believe I can start maybe dropping some of the dogs or if they're still generating you know, money keep them. I mean, what's the harm? Yeah. It's not going to be the most ideal place, but everyone's competing for those cookie cutter places. And if you're trying to get started, you can start generating income and they say easy in hard out. But my my business plan is to never sell them. You know, I mean, eventually I'll probably 1031 exchange. them once I've depreciated them fully and go that route, but you know, 27 and a half years later, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, that's 27 and a half years of payments <laughs>
0: until they change the rules anyway. Yeah, you never know. get
1: too much money. How'd you find your um, house, your first deal? So, the the people that I was in the mentorship with actually were able to get under contract and help facilitate that deal. Okay. As a part of that program, I was Do in. Do you want
0: to plug them or you just want to keep quiet about it? It's okay either way.
1: The, I, don't, I know people that are listening to this might um, know them. Yeah, they're actually Joe and Terry out of the Ann Arbor Real Estate Group. Okay. So, they're really good in terms of education wise and things like that. That group, my. I don't want to say issue with it is it's a lot of education and newbies. And there's not like the renegades meeting people that go there are typically players or getting ready to be players. Whereas there it's a lot of people that I've seen the entire time I've been there that have been, there for years before I was there that are waiting on their first deal still. Yeah. So, and there's nothing wrong with, I mean, I think no. there are, actually there's something wrong with that to a degree. If you're in a real estate meeting, go pull the trigger eventually. Yeah. But there's it, nothing wrong with
0: the meeting. Sounds no, like no, good exactly. Meeting. The meetings and they helped great. you out a lot. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And they have them four times a month. So, I mean, there's oh, a lot of That's education there.
0: Yeah. So
1: it's a great way to, to figure out what's going on. And the other thing is, you know, the people that go there are more Ipsy and that, you know, Washington County related. So they're not in my neck of the woods as much anymore. So that's kind of why I try to go out there, but their meeting's the same night as your meeting, and so I go to that it? one. Yeah, that's the two. When did Tuesday. they start? Then they've had it. For, they're actually the biggest real estate group on Meetup. They have like 700 members. I mean, 60 people might show what up. Wonder when they started. I don't know.
0: I hope I hope not before me, because then i feel bad that we picked the meeting night. I tried really hard. We we ended up picking the same night as the Wayne Ria, but they kind of went away, so it's not as big a deal. But. Whenever I find, like, we we tried, we did, folks, we did
1: our best
0: not to pick a night somebody else was doing a meeting on. So, because I don't want people to have to choose. I think you should go to as many as you can.
1: Yeah, and I think the Washington people, some of them head out there, but I think most of them don't come out this way anyway, because it's 45 minutes from out there in any way. So, it's it's almost a different market. You know, the Tri-County doesn't really include that, and the Renegades kind of seems to be more the Tri-County area.
0: So that's pretty so that's interesting. So they got you the education, they found the deal, they walked you through the deal. You came up with your financing and it's been a successful property for you.
1: Yeah, I was able to refinance most of the cash I put into it out and I used that to buy my second one and then I did a that system. again. Yeah, yeah and, they, and that's kind of the system they taught me, you know, how to they were focused primarily on, you know, buy Uh, buy, rent, rehab, reuse, you know, the burr method that you hear on bigger pockets. But I mean, it's a good model. If you can, I ran out of credit for for your first three (laughs) or four. Yeah. That's the thing. I've got three under mortgages and, and I was basically up against my credit limit. So that's when I just, part of the reason why I kept my job for as long as I did, because I had had that W2 for it. And now that's smart. It's out there. I've got long-term money on them. Um, was able to refinance most of the cash out and, they're all generating, you know, good income.
0: So that was your, that was your first deal. It's on your first deal went way smoother than my first deal. went. I'm not surprised you're 29 and uh, killing it in the wholesale business. You're a little bit, (laughs) a little bit further ahead than I am.
1: Well, a lot of it too is one, the help, you know, I put myself around a lot of people that were willing to help and, you know, did partially pay for it. But at the same time I could call them right now and they'd be able to answer questions for me if I needed it. It's not like one of those one time only guru sites that you never hear from again, I mean Grant, I don't know if that's the case or not. I've heard stories on that, but um that and you know I think just the content that's out there, I'm like a ready fire aim type of person, yes, but at the same time, you can kind of aim while you're firing, you know as you're pulling it from your hip, you just take a little look at it, yeah, so you know there's education out there. I think you know the people that spend you know, forty fifty grand on some of these educations that's a house you could have bought. What are the odds you can lose that much money? I did that. And there's other 40
0: grand Robert Allen. No, there's something fucking wrong with it, man. It was a waste of fucking money, folks. It wasn't like I took it and gave it to someone like Mike or Steve or Joe. No, no doubt. I get out of whatever I put into that. I get out way more than I ever put in. Right. I just, I just gave it to the wrong company. I'm glad I took action, but I did waste that money. But, Oh, well, you can't live your
1: life in reverse, right? That's the thing. Hindsight's twenty twenty. You Always. learn from it and, yeah. and then, you know, try and help somebody else out at a discount. <laughs> Folks,
0: before you spend any money, I don't care where you're living, go to your local RIAs and investment groups. And if you can't go to them, get on YouTube, look up podcasts, listen. There are lots of gurus. Like, for instance, I like Sean Terry a lot. I think Sean Terry has some good wholesale stuff. I like some of Wendy Patton's stuff. I think she's got some good stuff. Uh, there are a lot of people out there with really um, uh, propertymob.com, Tracy K. down there in I think Tennessee, she does good stuff. There's, there are lots of people doing stuff and they charge money. And I think education is an important thing. And I think mentorship is an important thing. Just be careful, How much? And I would go as local as you could, as local knowledge as possible. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with the rich dad, poor dad, Trump, Robert Allen kind of thing. I just think you can get greater value locally.
1: Every real estate market is local. So how can you expect the national chain to know yes. that market? I mean, they can definitely teach you the concepts and stuff, but to be truthfully honest, I think you could find all that information just by a quick Google search and, you know, YouTube, I mean, I've never actually used Periscope, but I've heard about it and I heard there's a lot of good content on there. Um, but I mean, there's so much information at our fingertips these days, but Jeremy's right. Go to your local meetings because if you can get at least a mentorship there or find someone, you know, to buy them lunch and it might turn into something, you know, just be open, be honest and be show sure that you have a desire to do something.
0: That last part is really important too. I can't tell you, you get one chance at a first impression, ladies and gentlemen, and i know this by making enough bad impressions, <laughs> 10 times as much work to undo a bad impression. That it's just to start with a good impression. You know, that's, that is good advice from Mike squared. Anything else you'd like to add before I wrap this up?
1: No, I mean, I think we did a pretty good, good job today. I mean, the thing that I always found is action takers are the ones that are successful, you know, they say good things come to those who wait. That's bullshit. Whoever got there first, is all that they left behind. Yeah. You <laughs> so, get, you get what everybody else left, you know? And the thing is, there's no reason you shouldn't hack it to a degree. I mean, there's, there's people that have done it before you, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, they say the pioneers are the ones that have the arrows in their back. So find out, find out where those arrows are, find out why they got them in their back and then don't do that.
0: Yeah. Don't be that guy or gal. Don't and, be that person.
1: And I don't know. I mean, maybe there's something revolutionary coming for real estate that can really disrupt the space. But right now, there's a lot of information out there that can get you where you need to be in just the normal three methods of wholesaling, renting or flipping. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Follow method. Find someone that can check your you know, T's and dot your I's. That's good advice, Mike.
0: Your odds are very likely you are not the smartest primate in the world. There's probably somebody way smarter than you who's done it 10 times better than you. And if you can learn it from them, that's a huge advantage.
1: Yeah, exactly. Get
0: ahead. Well, thank you, sir, for coming out. I think I, I personally want to hang out with you more. Having talked to you some more. I was, I think that was, I I learned some things. I'm going to go check out some of these podcasts and stuff. (laughs) I'm going to talk to you a little bit more later about, uh, Let's plug Erica again. What was that? Michigan, Michigan
1: investment title.
0: Michigan investment title. Two, three days getting back your man. That's
1: amazing. Don't swamp her though. I don't want those times to go up. No. no. Something tells <laughs> me her. she would.
0: She would hire. She would hire. Her out. Well, I want to thank my guest Mike Cowper today for coming out, and I appreciate your time. And I want to encourage you to go check out the stuff he's working on, folks. That's how this podcast works, all right? Mike buys houses for cash.com. If you need to get rid of a house, go there. If you want to get on the list, go to webuyroi.com. Webuyroi.com. His partner, Mike Simmons, has a great podcast. It's kind of on and off again a little bit right now, but it sounds like that's because they're growing. (laughs) But just go to juststartrealestate.com. Sign up. Check it out. It's worth listening to. He also has a Bigger Pockets blog, go to biggerpockets.com, look up Mike Cowper, C-O-W-P-E-R, and hit their office phone, 248-871-7450. And if you enjoy this podcast and you find it helpful, please share it with your friends. And if you think I'm not asking questions, or is there something different you'd like to see, or maybe you have a guest you'd like to have on the show, reach out, let me know. This is a free podcast. You're sharing your liking and your feedback really does help. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, reach out to me at com. Yes, I realize it's not up to date yet. It's a shoestring budget, folks. he has got
1: a mean beard on there.
0: He does, yeah, he does. He had an excellent beard on there. Go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash investors. Look up all the other ones in the area, too. And go to facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. And if you're interested in hooking up with me, Look me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. And if you prefer to watch this on YouTube, go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to take to become financially independent. I don't know what those steps are. Hopefully, you know, whatever they are, start. I know there are a lot of distractions and mistakes, maybe poisonous people. You didn't get a good start in life, bad habits, Maybe you failed a couple times before. It's not too late, folks. Ron restarted. I restarted. Lots of people restart. Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you closer to your goals, even if it's one teeny tiny step. And I do want to say I want to thank you for listening and I appreciate your attention. And I'll catch you guys on the next podcast. Until then, crush it.